Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Let's get right to the biggest news from Hump Day Wednesday right out of the box. Jake Query along with Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison here as well. It is Query Company. Eddie, thank you. We have an update on both Jonathan Taylor and Ryan Kelly. Is that correct, Jimmy Cook? It is indeed from our very own Kevin Bowen at KBowen1070. Shane Steichen says Anthony Richardson, concussion protocol, and Ryan Kelly, concussion protocol. Both will not practice today. That about a half hour ago. So they are still in the protocol here as, of course, the Baltimore Ravens loom on Sunday. So that would appear to indicate that both of them will miss a, you know, not miss a second game because they played partially in week two, but you get what I'm saying there. Um, and we shall see. We will monitor it. As a matter of fact, uh, Eddie Garrison trying hard, and this is the thing that we like to do at Query and Company. Those of you who work for the company that we have assigned your responsibilities, you're locked in. You're on lifetime contracts. Well, <laughs> lifetime of the show contracts, which, you know, let's face it, year to year. Um, but, but you are locked in with your contracts. Now, as for Eddie and Jimmy, we like to keep them guessing in terms of the job security from day to day. And Eddie Garrison, who was named the CEO and then immediately went to Colorado for a week, came back, uh, started taking microwave popcorn breaks in the middle of the show. So he was starting to lose the C and part of the E was gone too. Just so O. He, that's correct. He, he was half E-O. And, and now, and then yesterday he dipped into his Rolodex big time and came up with a really good guest at one o'clock that I think is going to be a fascinating conversation. The chief medical officer of the National Football League, Dr. Alan Sills, joins us at 1 o'clock today in order to give us perspective on the concussion protocol in general. Just you know, We hear that all the time. He's in the protocol. Well, what does that mean? It's like you know, five I mean, steps you have to clear out of, but yeah, what are the specifics right, of it and the timeline? Saying, yes. You know, I mean, it's mysterious. And, and you know, one of the things that I would like to know that he can answer for us is this, and that is, is the protocol of return or analysis or evaluation for a player, does that differ based upon whether it is the player that self-reported the injury or whether or not it was somebody else that noticed it and saw outward? Because with Anthony Richardson, there was not necessarily any external indication that there was an issue. It's not like he wobbled and came over to the sideline. He wasn't hazy. He didn't vomit. You know, any of those things. He himself just went and simply said, hey, you know what? Like, I'm a little dizzy or whatever it might be. So how does that change things is one of the questions that we'll ask Dr. Alan Sills. It doesn't Uh, change things in the fantasy world that I live in. Like, I'd like to think, like, if you're, you know, a little kid and you like took a candy bar from somewhere but you were honest about it it's not like it speeds up the process like right. i wish it did but you would think is there any type of variations with that of a player being able to still have the cognitive presence to be aware something's going on does that speed up that process yeah I don't, and that's one of the things i want to ask right or does it is there a different criteria in general I, you know i have no idea uh dr sills will join us at one o'clock one thirty today brett lewis nfl Network analyst also, of course, works with Don Fisher on Indiana football. And then Joel A. Erickson of the Indianapolis Star joins us at 2 o'clock today. 
you know, this is always this point in the week is where I always kind of think to myself that you you shift the narrative a little bit from the game before to now what's on the horizon. So you, you kind of spend, and I would think teams do this as well. Monday and Tuesday are kind of evaluation day. You know, for the for the roster, of course, and back in the in the olden days, it was always if you went on Sunday, you got Monday, Tuesday off. So Wednesday was kind of the reconvene day. But I think Monday's the day to come in, get treatment, as they call it, um, get looked over, make sure that, that everything's good from a health standpoint, and then get together as a group, and especially on Tuesdays, but more so on Monday, I guess, and evaluate what took place in the game on Sunday, what can be repaired, and then on Tuesday you start putting together game plans. Wednesday you start working and you're moving forward now, and yesterday or Sunday's game is officially old news now. Yeah. Um, I've always wondered, too, when they say watching film. You know, we we we, we got to watch the film. Everybody's got to watch the film, right? Yeah. The, the last guy to actually use film was Abraham Zapruder, right? <laughs> Does anybody use film? Like, what what film are they Like, do they come in? Do you remember when you were a kid and they'd roll in the projector? Correct. They'd roll in the projector and they'd start it, and then at the end, when the projector would end, the, the back film, when you rewound it, and then it was like... And it would start flipping, and the teacher hadn't turned the lights on yet, and the vacation was almost over, and you had to start talking again and doing actual studying stuff. But the film was always exciting. But NFL guys don't watch film, right? Yeah, I think it's just used as a synonym, a phrase. I doubt that VHS tapes are being used. At we're going to we're going to watch the, the iPad. <laughs> well, we got to go out and review the iPad. Isn't that more realistic, though? Probably. What's the last thing you did on film? Have you, have you either one of you guys have you ever even do you even have a do either one of you Jesus. guys have a picture of yourself on film do i have a picture of myself on film do your parents yes, I have a, I I have a whole, oh, kodak archive do you really yeah my mom was big into the kodak uh quick develop ones yes oh the polaroid yes yeah okay i may have some polaroids no i meant too. the we have polaroids sure. too but i meant the like the you remember the ones you buy at cvs little kodak like 30 shot and then you got it developed i don't oh, mean like disposable in, camera yes yes okay yeah. yeah nothing wrong with that yeah um, anything I, I because I feel bad the two things that I think about sometimes as a as a this is a side tangent but I can't be the only one there are certain things with me that I think to myself am I the only person that thinks this am I losing my mind and so then I ask people sometimes to text and verify that I'm not crazy and then I feel better about myself when people text and say no I agree with you then I think to myself, okay, I'm not crazy. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to do a survey here real quick before we get back to the Colts. Sure. I would like people to text me. Now, my phone number is 523-9288. Whenever I give it out on the air, somebody invariably calls, and it's like, yeah, I'm on the air. But it's 523-9288. That's obviously a 317 area code. There are times, and it's usually around the holidays, when we get together at my mom and dad's house, and I'm very fortunate both are still living. I know that. But we go to my parents' house, and usually Christmas Eve, and one of the things I do is I go right next to the fireplace, there's like kind of a a little nook where my mom has the old photo albums. And I look through the photo albums and their vacations, family vacations that we took, and all kinds of stuff in the photo albums. And I remember where the pictures were taken and everything else. In addition to that, 
you hear more and more, well, less and less now you hear of it, but you hear the stories of people like, you know, when my grandfather passed away, we found all the letters he wrote to grandmother, like when they were courting each other, or like when they first, the postcards they sent back when they first moved into to Chicago for a year or whatever. There are times where it makes me sad, old guy yelling at clouds, but it does make me sad that we, like as a culture, have somewhat lost those things because yes, while I realize there's a beauty and a wonder in being able to take a digital photo with your with your phone and you can save it to a cloud, I get all that, but most people forget to do that and end up deleting the pictures at some point and no one writes letters anymore and I feel like for generations moving forward, the the sake of the love and the stories that are entrenched for a family inside of photo albums and letters in a shoebox are a, a terrible loss for moving forward for people many of which probably don't even realize they once existed but it makes me sad now am i alone in that in thinking that thought am i like the old guy that just refuses to and i love the taking pictures on my phone don't get me wrong but do you think i'm the only one that thinks that no i believe there's probably a small percentage of people that's why you have such a a high level of consumerism towards like nostalgia and you can like you have old a small percentage that are, of people? i would say so yeah you think it's a small percentage of people? I'd say it gets smaller by the day. But so if I if I right now ask people to send me simply their age and whether yes they agree with the fact that it's unfortunate that that people are losing sight of those things or B no it's not unfortunate because we have better stuff. You think it's a small percentage that would say yes? Yes, because I don't think people have lost it in the way that you think. I think they've adapted. Like you can now have digital photo albums on totally, digital picture frames. Totally and like understand for some that, people, but how many still people do the that same way? I like, do. Like, it, but what I'm saying is, in 60 years, are your grandchildren going to be able to pull? Are are, are you going to have immediate access for them to plug in your digital frame to see the pictures of you and your wife on vacation in Chicago that you took in 20? 22 and they're able to say that's where grandma and grandpa first went on vacation are they going to be able to see those photos and and stare at them for as long as they want before they turn the page and then and then on the back read your your mom your your wife's handwriting to see what she wrote like not in that not in that same way because i get what you're saying because my mom had those and like we still have like framed pictures in our house but i understand it's the feel it's like the battle of reading a book like a physical book versus reading one on an iPad. Like there's the, the idea of turning the page and the, just the, the feel of that and the old school feel. I, I get all that, but I just think it's as technology has advanced different things that it, it changes the way you do it. Like people can still look at old photos and look and reminisce. It's just not done in a scrapbook form anymore. I hate to tell you this, Jimmy. I think you're going to be outvoted on this. All right, well. Jake, I'm 27 years old. My wife has always wrote me letters since we started dating at the age of 17. I used to think they were corny, but I love reading back on them now as a married couple. Totally agree with your point. Um, I would like to clarify my point as photos, <laughs> photos alone. I still might no, lose, no, no. but I mean, I'm like letters like that. There's a lot of people that still do appreciate the but nuance the of letter writing. One? Uh, honestly, probably three years ago. Okay. Uh, Eddie is the CEO. Would you like to chime in on this, or do you have evidence that you'd like to throw in? Um, if I'm being honest, as the CEO, I was answering the phone call, so I missed half of that conversation. All right, we'll go with Simon. <laughs> Line one, Simon says what? Hey, Jake, listen, man, I'm kind of surprised that you don't print the pictures you from your phone. Man, we print them all the time, just like whenever you know you're going to go to Walgreens or CVS. I, no, I do have that, the Photo Express app. I do have that. That's correct. Yeah, that, that's yeah fair. they're like... 
it's so cheap, man. You, we did, and we just throw them in a shoebox like like our parents used to. Okay, and that's then, fair. That's a good point. That's a good point yeah. for sure. Um, do you have a photo album or just a box? Same difference, but oh, no, 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 just a box. Man, we, we are just picking them up is. But enough, you right? do, but, but you do still enjoy looking at like a a printed version in your hand oh. of the photo, right? Hundred percent. Yeah. It's, okay. I mean, they're like two, it's like two cents. I mean, come on, right? It's it's so worth it. Uh, that's a good call. There's a, I'm surprised they don't have the Fox photos anymore in, in the mall. Uh, um, I will add to this conversation real quick. Olivia and I do have like a, a wall that is by our front door where it's like a collage of pictures of us, of things that we've done. Now, did you print those out from your phone? No. Well, there were pictures taken on our phone that we had printed That's out, so I mean. then yes. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. There is a memory wall in the cookhouse. I have not contributed to it, but- like it's well, three years memories of it's of i mean I, I didn't print out the photos is what i'm saying like, i don't have a problem with them i'm not some like monster that's like oh how dare you have these memories in physical form i'm just saying like i feel like you can just as efficiently airplay an album of photos on the television as you could hey here's a shoebox that's been sitting here for 20 years and Let's then look back like at. at my desk where i play video games and do prep and stuff and do work out of i've got pictures of us there too so uh don what's up don hey jake i'm with you uh you know, I did finally, like, that last car print come out just two weekends ago. It took me forever. I was in there for two hours because I'm old school. I'd rather look through a photo album and go into the store and get them out. You had them developed and seeing what come out on development and all that. That's just stuff that's going to go Don, away. was there any yeah. bigger buzzkill in the world than when you waited, like, two weeks, super excited to see a roll of film, and then they come back and you realize you're the, an- the anti-Ansel Adams and every picture sucked? Oh, I hated that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You feel my pain, don't you, Don? <laughs> yeah, and when you go on vacation, you can't get those back. Gosh, I could have swore I had the cap hey, on the Hey, Don, if you start finding sales on Metamucil on Amazon, let me know, okay? <laughs> right? I've got some off, Hey, you guys go. Go Yankees next year. All right. Amen to that. Yankees next year. Um, anyway, I was just curious about that. Thank you to everybody that's participated in my little survey. So Colts film. They don't use it anymore. Yeah, the Colts aren't watching film anymore, right? They're going and they're printing out the photos at Walgreens, and then they're coming in and they're looking at the iPad. That's the bottom line in the whole situation. You know, I think they actually just they rent out the uh, big IMAX theater at the State Museum, and it's just on the on the real authentic film. I think it's they not- could rent out the theater in Circle Center. Is it still there? Do we know? Yes. It is still there? I don't know. Are you sure? I've been last there a year ago, and it was there. Uh, last time I walked through the, the, the mall here, unfortunately, it was three kiosks selling emoji pillows, and that was it. I don't know if the theater Which one did you get? <laughs> good point. I got the poo one, right? Uh, Colts and Ravens, your thoughts on this, Jimmy, in terms of what appears now to be likely that Gardner Minshew is going to be the guy. I think that it, at this point that that's what we assume until we hear otherwise, right? My initial reaction when he – yes, that's what you assume is that Gardner's going to be the – starter and Richardson likely won't clear protocol and my first genie prediction of the Quarian Company era is going to be incorrect but that's fine I'm willing to live with that and learn and grow uh for, for my observations for the game coming up on Sunday initially when Richardson went down it was a feeling of anguish for me because the whole point of this season as we've stressed is his development and I feel like it's another great test on Sunday against a good Baltimore defense for Anthony Richardson to grow in this league Likely not going to happen now. He's not going to be able to play. But then I had the realization that we had in discussion for him earlier this week, which is that these wide receivers still need to grow. We need to figure out from a standpoint of our viewpoint, as well as the Colts need to figure out, 
what they're going to do as they build around Anthony Richardson. And you need a valuable backup to be able to help them in that growth. That's what Minshew's going to do. This isn't a total lost cause. I get the initial reaction is, uh, no, Anthony Richardson, what's the point of even watching? Well, Minshew looked solid, uh, granted against the Texans, but he looked solid a week ago. He's been a solid type of quarterback throughout his career where he can fill a, he can be a spot starter for you. And there's still opportunity to see how this offense will flow in the Shane Steichen era. So I'm optimistic on that front. The only thing I will say is from the defensive standpoint, this is another real test against a quarterback that Eddie Garrison is a big fan of and Lamar Jackson. I feel like that's been a theme the last couple of weeks as we've been talking about the upper echelon of quarterbacks. This is another opportunity for the Colts defense to give us a marker for where they are this year. And it's another test against an offense that appears to be clicking at a high level. So all in all, I'm excited going in still, even without Anthony Richardson, but I'd be lying to you if I said I'm not a little bit bummed that we don't get to see the rookie quarterback in this matchup on Sunday. This is where what I keep going back to in my mind, and it sounds like I am a pessimist. I'm not. I'm more often than not an optimist, right? But I'm a realist. And I also, like like I talked about in buying the Anne Frank museum tickets when I'm going to Holland I bought them for two different days I bought them for two different days just in case because you can only buy them online and they sell out way in advance so I bought for two different days in case we have a travel delay or there's any sort of issue where we can't make it for day number one we have a backup to still go because I bought the backup tickets now is that me being a pessimist or a realist or is that me being a former Cub Scout always be prepared yes right Yes. So in this case, I don't know if it makes me a pessimist, a realist, or an optimist. I'd like to think an optimist because I think of myself as I wake up, and that's that's why the sun's out, right? Because I'm, I'm up. Because I radiate sunshine as an optimist. But if Anthony Richardson is not playing, the challenge that I see in Gardner Minshew as the starter is I like Gardner Minshew, and I think he's a pretty good quarterback. And, I, and to your point, I think he's really good for developing those receivers, so there is a benefit in that. But what I would like to see is Gardner Minshew to go out and go 27 of 30, and for 50% of those 27 passes to be split, which would be hard because that's 13 and a half, but for, for, for those passes, a lot of them to be split between Josh Downs and Alec Pierce and maybe Will Mallory and Drew Ogletree and Kylan Granson and guys that you've got to get to your point, Jimmy – receivers that you need to also get footing underneath them that are young guys and that's what Minshew can do is he can throw those guys lasers and get them in position to get them reps but I hope he does all of that and throws for 340 yards and the Colts lose 35-34 I just don't see and and I'm the optimist because I believe that we've seen enough in Anthony Richardson to know that he has the tools to be the long-term answer for quarterback at quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts and the nightmares of Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan and hoping to get Phillip Rivers for another year, even though you know it'd be his last year. Those things are in the past, and they have the quarterback now that it's like, you know what, we can roll with this dude. But, but, you are still in the process of accumulating pieces around him, and the reality is the higher you are drafting this year, the better it is going to be for the development of Anthony Richardson and the pieces around him. And Gardner Minshew, while I love him and I think he's a good player, he might give you a chance to win some games. 
but I just don't see the value in being an eight-win team versus a four-win team or being a five-win, you know, a nine-win team versus a five-win team. If you're getting into the postseason and you, you, you catch an Andrew Luck rookie year, lightning in a bottle, everything went your way, and you're in the playoffs, that's one thing. I don't know that this roster is ready for that, right? Right. And so... But that's not a pessimistic viewpoint that because I'm in the same boat as you, but that didn't change for me. And I want to clarify this with you. That didn't change for me with Richardson going down. No, no, no. Like the idea of, of them, like at the end of the day. What I'm saying is Minshew, it's like, I like the fact that Minshew st- keeps them in ball games, but I'm like, but but don't, tr- but I don't want them necessarily to win those games. Correct. I know that sounds crazy. Correct. No, it doesn't. And, and that's, if that's what our listeners have pushback for, then it's just, it's a difference of what you're rooting for as a fan right now. Because I look at the Steelers and I get it, the Steelers are a, a much more historical, significant in terms of championships and legacy franchise than the Colts are. I understand that. So maybe this is a bad example to some extent. But Mike Tomlin is such a good coach that oftentimes you're split as a fan of, let's just say, the Pittsburgh Steelers, knowing that you're never going to be bad enough to be in a better position in the draft to maybe speed along your rebuild or your roster turnover. But you're never going to be good enough in this window they're trapped in to be anything more than a wild card appearance or maybe a division title and an early round playoff exit until they figure out a couple more things within their roster. Now, one might push back and say, oh, well, competent general managers can draft wherever and be successful. And okay, maybe that's fine. But if it's a year where you're not playing for anything, would you rather at the end of the year have one or two fewer losses but better draft position? to ease the process for your general manager? Or would you rather win two more wins, have a couple more happy Sundays, and then do the same thing over and over again for the next five years? Right. And the answer is easy for me. It's they're not in a championship window right now. Yes, it's great if they win. We love victory Mondays. Like I'm not sitting here and saying, oh, I want misery for Indianapolis. No, but I see the bigger picture here. And the Colts aren't going to throw these games by any means. But I'm with Jake. If we come in here Monday morning and Gardner Minshew led a game-winning touchdown drive against the Ravens and they're 2-1, and one, it's like, yay, they're 2-1, and one, but where is the season really going? Them going 2-1 and one this week isn't automatically going to make me say, you know what, Jake? This team can win the South. Not only that, I think they might be able to make a run in the AFC Championship you know, game. To be honest with you, so long as Trevor Lawrence is healthy, then the Colts' win total is exactly the discussion we're having probably Tennessee's the wild card but my point being Jacksonville one would assume is going to win the south and probably win it by a game or two it's hard to think that Jacksonville is going to to slide out of the assuming they're healthy right Trevor Lawrence gets hurt all of a sudden that AFC south is kind of wide open yeah although Tennessee might be better than we're giving them credit they might be slightly better than we're giving them credit. I think that we were ready to write off Tennessee before the year even began because Will Levis was like, you know, putting mayonnaise in his coffee and Malik Willis was a guy that was supposed to be, you know, eventually handed over the keys and then they took the keys away from him and then they grounded him and then they actually bought him a new car again and it was confusing. And then Ryan Tannehill um, is basically old enough that he is complaining on the radio about the fact that nobody actually uses cameras anymore. Right. Yes. So, and, and then Tannehill comes out and plays pretty well. So maybe there is something left in him. And Derrick Henry, we know, is a great player. So maybe Tennessee's not totally dead yet, but it does feel like if Jacksonville were to have a massive injury, then that division does kind of become wide open because of its mediocrity, not because of, you know what I mean? 
Tennessee, from a long-term development standpoint, is in that same spot as the Steelers, where they're maddeningly good while also frustratingly bad to the point that they might be able to muck up the AFC South to the point that they win a division title or they get to six or seven wins. And it's like, well, where's the future? Who's the quarterback of this franchise? Thankfully, the Colts have part of that equation answer. At least they think they do. And Anthony Richardson. But look at Tennessee. There's plenty of franchises around the league that are living in mediocrity that can't figure out which way they want to go. Do they want to tear down and rebuild? Or do they want to keep a couple of happier fans on a Sunday here or there in a short-term bubble while not looking at the big picture. You ever been You ever been driving? We'll use Keystone as a good example. North Keystone. Yeah. You're driving up North Keystone, everything's kind of going A-OK, and then you realize they've got everything down to one lane, and then it opens back up to two lanes, even though it's a three-lane road, and you're sitting in the middle lane, and then you you, you change to the left lane because it's moving a little bit. And then as soon as you do, some jackass stalls, and so now everybody's moving in the right lane. So you go over yeah. to the right lane, and then all of a sudden, like you, there's a cop that comes and he stops the, the 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 middle lane and the right lane, you know, and you can never get the right lane. Right? You're just stuck. You're just stuck in this. It's impo- you're sitting there, and you're literally like. Your, your blood pressure is increasing because you're like, I can't get out of this traffic jam and it's driving me insane. Yes. Okay. Welcome to drafting 14th in the NFL. Yes. To a T. Well, welcome to being between seven and 10 wins in the National Football League every year. Before you know it, you're just sitting there and you're like, uh, like, I, I, I'm, I'm not good enough to improve by getting like, by really hitting on the draft here and I'm not. I'm not, or excuse me, I'm not bad enough to do that, and I'm not good enough to like be interesting. And and I get it. Like some people are like, oh, but if we just get in, we, the NFL playoffs are so vastly, and I get it, it's single elimination, but they're so vastly different than any other sport in the world. And it's because th- there's not this. It's not hockey. It's not the MLB where it's like, oh, if we get hot, and sure, you can throw at me for every ten Peyton Manning led appearances or Brady led appearances in the Super Bowl. For every ten of those, you can throw one up. Look at Eli. Okay, sure, lightning in a bottle happens every so often, but you have to have competency at the quarterback position. You have to have a good defense. And if you're in mediocrity territory or North Keystone, as Jake so eloquently put it, you're going to be stuck to the point of just frustration and madness and no clear identity of where things get better. Now, I some people would point to, well, I'd rather have that than be the Bears. I mean, that's that's fair to an extent, but at least you have some thought of what's next. Like Bears fans sitting around, I get it, they're frustrated. They haven't had a quality quarterback in my lifetime, but they're... Sitting there like, oh, Caleb Williams maybe next year. There's at least there's some carrot you can see. You can't see Jimmy, that mediocre land. When I was in high school, I know this will stun you. I graduated with, I believe, 1,084 people in my graduating class. I think actually that went down. By the time we graduated, it was like 892. But, but I was an NFL player. I was an NFL player in high school, and I was – the NFL player that I hope the Colts are this year, if I was a, if I had been a team. But I was an NFL player as a high school student. And I was the NFL player that Indianapolis needs. And I'll explain what I mean on the other side. And again, Dr. Alan Sills from the National Football League to discuss concussion protocol coming up at 1. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So when I was in high school, Jimmy, you applied to what colleges when you were a senior in high school? I applied to Indiana. I applied to Butler. And I think I applied to maybe Marquette. And did you get into all three? Yes. Okay. Eddie? I applied to UIndy, IU, and Ball State. Did you go three for three? Technically, yes. Okay. You got waitlisted at one of them, didn't you? No. So IU accepted me, but they wanted me to take my first some, uh, my first year of classes through Ivy Tech online courses, but stay on campus. It was really weird. Yeah. Negative. Sounds like a money grab. Um so, I was not a great student. I was a very average to below average student. I did not have what, I didn't quote apply myself, right? So, I graduated with a rock solid uh, 2.2 graduate uh, average at North Central. I was literally like smacked at, I was, I was in the top 40% of my class until a bunch of people uh, moved or dropped out or whatever. And by the time we were senior, I was. F- 482 uh, out of like nine something. So like right right in the middle. And I applied to three schools. And I got waitlisted at one. I got accepted like on probation at one. And I got flat accepted to one. But the point is this. I probably had the tools, but I didn't really apply myself. But I was able to get in to those schools or I was able to get benefit of the doubt because I did radio and television for two years at WJEL. I was in junior spectacular. I was part of the um, student council and class council and that thing. So in other words, I wasn't very good, but I was interesting. And so because I was interesting, but not very good, the fact that I was stuck in mediocrity as a student, I earned benefit of the doubt and schools were able or were willing to invest in me a little bit or take a chance or or look further about me and, and explore me. The Indianapolis Colts this year as a roster are a 2.2. They're right in the middle. They got a couple nice things. I, I mean, you know, I had radio TV. I got really good grades. I got like state awards and radio television, right? So I, I had a good quarterback. I had a good young quarterback. I flunked every algebra class that I ever tried to take. Every one of them, right? That was my offensive line depth. Didn't have much of it. But when it came down to it, I had things that I could point out that were interesting that made you kind of forget the areas where I was really weak. And what the Colts need to do this year is utilize that radio TV class that they got a good grade in their quarterback in Anthony Richardson or develop their wide receivers or make some plays to be interesting – to be able to keep people engaged and sticking around because they do feel like the Colts have the potential once they apply themselves. And that's that's literally what they need to be this year. They don't need to turn around and get a 4.0 this year. Because if I would have, as a senior, gotten a 4.0, great. I would have gone from a 2.2 to a 2.6, and I would have gotten off a waiting list. Great. Right? Too little, too late. For the Colts this year, it's too early. Not not it's it's 
too little too early. So they need to be interesting, Jimmy, and they need to keep people engaged, and they and, and fans want to go down there and watch. Fans for three years have gotten tired of the Colts. have been boring. It's been a boring franchise. Like, the Colts for the last three years were a guy that had a 2.2 because he had straight C's and no extracurricular activities. And you're like, well, what do you do? And like, I don't know. I go home and I watch Nickelodeon. Okay. There's nothing interesting about that. But the Colts have been boring, and they're not boring this year, and that's what I think people are excited about. People want to go down to Lucas Oil Stadium. They want to watch exciting football. They want to see more than just blue throwing Nerf footballs from three levels up into a trash can, which has been the most exciting thing about them the last couple of years, right? Can I introduce you to Dude Perfect? What's that? <laughs> it's, a, it's a viral uh, YouTube group that uh, does a ton of like trick shot stuff like that. Anyway, continue. I like Dude Perfect, actually. As a matter of fact, I've wondered, do you think blue... Do you think Blue does CGI in some of the videos he does online? No. You think they're all legit? I think so. Okay. And now, granted, I haven't seen every video they've done, but I know they've poked are fun you, at that idea in the past. Are you a YouTube channel watcher? Not really. More of a tick. If they if they if they make it to my TikTok feed. Oh, that's you know that's owned by China. I understand. Okay. Yeah. My data has been gone long ago. But by the way, speaking of that. Um, on a totally different side note, and the kids on the fourth floor will be happy that I segued to this topic. On my way in, I, I once again stopped at Jake. We should do an entire segment of Jake's gas station ventures. This time I stopped in a gas station. I went in to buy myself a beverage. And I walked up to the counter, and there were two options. Self-checkout, or there's the woman standing there ready to check me out. Right? I mean, I think every woman checks me out. But but yeah, you know what I mean, yeah, like yeah. in terms of the register. Sure. So I say to her, hey, would, do you want to go ahead and, and check me out so that I go, I would use the self-checkout, but if you're here, I don't want to take your job from you. Pretty legitimate concern, to be honest with you. She says, and I quote, I don't give a blank. I go, okay. And she goes, and and, and then she like rubs her nose and says, because I've had COVID for three days up here in this blank. <laughs> I said, I'll do the self-checkout. Thanks. She goes, don't worry. I've been she didn't using- say his A. <laughs> she said, I've been using hand sanitizer. Oh, okay. That's nice. I opted for the self-checkout. That's a good call. And then went and deloused myself at the car wash. The Colts, as they stand right now in a lot of areas, are like a plate of vegetables I don't want any part of. That's what, that's what they've been for the last couple of years. They're just boring. There's nothing exotic and fun about it. And now Anthony Richardson comes in, and it's all of a sudden like we have... Is that a, why you were searching what you were searching over there as I passed your computer? Uh, it was. Yes. Thank you, Eddie. Yeah, I, was, I was looking for a good analogy to bring up here because I just I wanted one on the fly. Thank you, Eddie. I appreciate that way to take the show. Anyway, um, so for my viewpoint of where we are now, it's like a nice filet mignon, or it's just, it's just a, a very exotic dish. And, and here we are with levels of excitement and just there's a buzz around Indianapolis that wasn't here before and I get it now you're like oh well, that's taken away this week well there's still areas that might be a part of the Colts moving forward like Michael Pittman Jr.'s future here it's a contract year for him Josh Downs like you mentioned his rookie hype Alec Pierce is he going to be something or is he going to wind up being a bust is too strong at this point he's only played 19 games but you get what I'm saying there's still areas of excitement to be had but I want this season to end in a way where there's a clear identity of what the Colts need to address, but also that they have a future that's solidified around Anthony Richardson. And I think most Colts fans agree with that. It's not going to matter to me the difference between seven wins and four wins. Uh, This post just sent to me, Jake, you're absolutely right about the Nerf balls for airline tickets. It was the only time I cheered the last few years. (laughs) Right? 
I mean, it's like back to 1984. Let's hit Johnny Cook's posters from Kroger. Let's fold them up into like nine foot paper airplanes, land them on the field. What huddles the Colt, the live Colt mascot came out and dropped the deuce on the 20. That was the end of that. And it was like, well, let's go back to watching Mike Pagel. You don't want to be that, right? No. And they're not. They're not. They're, they're at least pretty fun to watch. But if you're just joining us, a little bit ago, Shane Steichen announcing Anthony Richardson, Ryan Kelly, both still in concussion protocol. Neither will practice today. But also to be clear, that is not a definitive ruling that they will be out on Sunday. There is still time that either of them could come back from the protocol or be cleared. But again, it does depend on how much you want them to be able to practice before they play on Sunday. One would assume that there is an importance of getting out on the field at the very minimum on Friday or maybe a walkthrough in the team hotel. But I do believe, Jimmy, it is my belief that if Anthony Richardson is able to go, he is going to play. I I just – if he is cleared, I think he's going to play. I don't see – and that's not to say that they're not erring, that they would not err on the side of caution for him. I'm not saying they're being reckless with him at all. What I'm saying is I think if medically speaking they say, yeah, we he is good, then I think he goes. I think you've got to go with it, right? I mean, you are in a position where you are trying to do everything you can to get as many reps underneath him as possible. I mean, that was part of the reason for my prediction in the genie bottle, right, is that I think that there's a chance he gets cleared and there's a chance that they value – the reps of him being out there versus him sitting and, and taking it easier, being cautious on the sideline. That's only if he gets cleared out of the protocol, though. If he doesn't make it out, then it's a non-starter. It's not happening. The Colts, even if they wanted to play him, can't play him. That's why the NFL has the policy they have in place of that five-step concussion protocol process to protect teams and players from themselves. We have determined, by the way, that we've renamed our genie, right? Yes. The genie in the bottle. Eddie, do you remember as the CEO the name of the genie we came up with? We never came up with the name. We did? No, then you scrapped it because you got a ton of people texting you and shooting you messages on Twitter and whatnot. What's the after effect of the Colorado trip? <laughs> None. Zero. There seems to be a short-term memory loss. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Pat was the original name I came up with. Correct. And then you said we may have to rename said genie. And then because... I said, wait a minute, I think we have it. Because of a movie character, which then segued into another total different topic of conversation. Jimmy, do you recall this said name change? I recall Pat being labeled with near definitive answers. Okay, and then? I don't recall any definitive name change. I I See, I recall a tease, but you never lived up to it. No, no. I, we went into we got talking them. about Robin Williams, and I thought maybe that there was a name change said, shift there to Robin. Remember, I said in the topic of Robin Williams, because he played the genie in Aladdin, I said, you know what? R- somebody says here that Robin points out that Robin is the perfect name because he played a genie, and it also is a male-female name. And I said, that might have to be what we go with. We're going to have to go with Robin. And then we and then I said, by the way, what's his signature role? And then I took you guys on, on a spin around the merry-go-round a couple of times on the, the wild brain that is, and then Eddie got sick and threw up on it and he forgot everything right? popcorn everywhere sure it's gross <laughs> sure microwave popcorn all over sure. the floor it was a horrific sight and yeah scene, while right? you tripped over the fan court over there no, that's gone by the way I, I do believe the only fan in this studio should be the title right well done not yes unless of course people want to come in and watch live in which we're more than welcome they're more than welcome and we're more than happy to have them dr alan sills joins us at the top of the hour 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I appreciate Kevin joining us in the break room on the YouTube chat. Doesn't agree with everything I say, but he is listening, and it is much appreciated, Kevin. Um, I, I totally get it. I'm not saying that Kevin's even wrong, as a matter of fact, with his opinions, but um, it is difficult sometimes. Like I don't like necessarily everything that's served at the buffet in the Las Vegas casinos, but I can usually find something that I like, and I enjoy that until they bring out more of what I like, right? And let other people step up for the platter that they enjoy as well. Um, speaking of that, and, and Kevin will love this, Dr. Alan Sill is going to join us, the chief medical officer of the National Football League, seven and a half minutes from now. Um, guys, I'm totally liberated here for the next two days. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but um, a couple of guys that I met, have you ever been to, I think it's called King Jug Brewing in Fishers? It's new? have not. Good joint. We went there Friday night. Uh, it was really fun, actually. We, we went up there, and it was it's kind of cra- it's not a huge place, but it's got kind of an outdoor seating area, and there were no seats available. So Shannon and I go, and these two guys just say, you know, hey, like we got two of the little like plastic fold out chairs, you know, that they had brought along, and they're like, we're not using these. You want to grab these chairs? And I'm like, heck yeah. So Steve and Darren are their names. So we sit down and end up just hanging out with these guys for like an hour, talking sports and whatever else. Super fun. Um, and Steve just texts me and goes, hey, I think we're going to go back tonight for some live music. Well, I just dropped off before I got in here. I dropped Shannon off at the airport. She is back in her hometown of Denver um, to mostly to pick up the remnants of stuff that Eddie left behind. And <laughs> and so she's gone for like the next two nights. So I'm just I'm flying free here, right? Like, should I go to King Jug and meet up with Stephen Darren and have a beer tonight? Absolutely. But I have a dinner at 7 o'clock. My buddy Dan and I are going out for dinner. You should go with Dr. Motman to his house and help him finish that six-pack of PBR. <laughs> there you go. I don't, yeah, he, he probably has a fencing around his house to keep me out, though. Otherwise, I'm kind of like, what about Bob? I'm I mean, like, who's to say he hasn't had him yet either? You know, that's true. Although he's waiting for the Lions' six-game win streak, Eddie. Oh, that's he's true. He's going to drink all six of them on a six-game win so streak. So one for each win? That's right. Okay. One for each game and one for each win. But – Here's the other thing. When I dropped Shannon off at the airport on the way here, so we're, we're driving into the airport, right? And she's like, now you have to drop me off like at the 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 curbside check-in. And I'm like, well, why? I mean, you have your boarding pass, right? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'll just take you up and you just go. And she goes, no, no, no. I've got to check my bag. And we, we, you get to check your bag. What are you talking about? You're gone for like 48 hours. 52 pounds. It's awesome. 52 pounds for a suitcase. I took a picture of it. I took a picture of it. I'm like, well, I, I don't know if she's taking the dogs or not. That's a five to seven. But it appears as though, right? That's a five to seven day suitcase size. Like I've I've packed a smaller suitcase that can fit in the overhead compartment before. Two change of clothes, nine days. pair of shoes. And that's probably where that works. Yeah. Uh, we will talk NFL and concussion protocol next. Now, it is not often that I can outsmart, you know, somebody who has a medical degree. And I don't think I'm going to be able to do it here. But we'll do a little challenge off the beginning. Let that play for a second, Eddie. Now, can our guest hear that through the phone? 
Dr. Alan Sills joins us. Okay, now, Dr. Sills, you are the chief medical officer for the National Football League, which automatically means that your intellect is like six times the capability of a guy doing a dog and pony show in Indianapolis about sports. But can you tell me the reason why we played that intro music as you joined the program today? Wow. Well, I thought you were going to ask me the Commodores, you know, as the artist and maybe kind of what era, but I cannot tell you why that is associated with your show. No, associated um, with you. I on that one, Jake. I played it for you. Oh, associated with me. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Uh, you're going to stump me on that. I, I've been called a lot of things, Jake, but probably Brickhouse is not one of them. Well, but I, you've been I, called a Commodore, haven't you? I have. I have. There you go. Okay. I, I got the connection now. You are a product, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, of the Vanderbilt University Medical Center, correct? Or at least you had worked there at one time, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually still on the faculty there. So I'm a professor of nurse surgery at Vanderbilt and founded their sports concussion center. So that is true. I've been at Vanderbilt for about uh, 14, 15 years now. One of my best friends in the world um, who went on to become an oncologist is a graduate of Vanderbilt. So uh, hats off to that fine university. Dr. Sills, I appreciate your time. I want to begin with this. Um, you know, we all hear, as sports fans, we all hear of players going into the concussion protocol. And it is not my obviously, and I want to make sure that people understand this before I even have you go into this question, doctor. Um, I would not put you in a position to speak to specific cases because number one, based on HIPAA, I don't think you can. And number two, it would be unfair to assume that you know each individual case. So people thinking that you're going to divulge info about Anthony Richardson, that's not the point of this interview, but rather to simply illuminate what a player goes through when they go into the protocol. So can you explain exactly what the protocol itself is? Yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're correct. I won't speak about specific players, but just in general. So think of the protocol as a recipe or a guidebook. It tells us how we're going to evaluate and treat a player who may have a concussion. And obviously in the NFL, we want to have that same standard, that same evaluation, that same management apply to all players in all situations. So I think the first point I would make to you is the protocol Entering the protocol as a term does not mean that someone has been diagnosed with a concussion. When we say that we're initiating the protocol, what that means is someone has been identified, a player who might have a concussion. And so now we're going to evaluate them in a systematic way. We do the same exam on every single player, the same way, the same uh, questions, the same exam every single time. And then if they're diagnosed with a concussion, then the protocol specifies what are the next steps that they go through, what happens immediately to them, what happens the following day, and then what are the steps that they need to do to return to play. So the protocol doesn't mean you've been diagnosed. It just means you're entering into that evaluation. Then if you're diagnosed, the protocol specifies the steps that you need to get um, to return safely to play. And one of the things that I think your, your listeners might find interesting is the variety of people who can initiate the protocol or trigger it. Um, it can certainly be one of the team doctors or athletic trainers. It can be one of our independent doctors at the game. We have, as you know, a neurospecialist on each sideline. We've got a neurospecialist up in the booth upstairs looking at the field. We also have two spotters upstairs looking for injuries on the field. But also a coach a teammate, even a game official, any of them can come to the medical staff and say, you know what, I think this player needs to be evaluated. And that identification is enough to initiate the protocol. So we've, we purposely have allowed a lot of people to initiate the protocol because we want to have, as we say, a very wide net, make sure we don't miss anyone. Are the steps of the protocol or the, the avenues that you take throughout 
that examination in any way, shape, or form influenced by which of those variables you're talking about that first tipped it off. In other words, if the player himself comes and says, yeah. you know, hey, so you get what I'm asking, right? Is there a, is there a tougher stringent yes, in any way, shape, no. or form? No, it's the same exact exam. And we basically have a two-tiered exam system. So we have what we call a sideline assessment, which is a quicker screen. It, it, it looks for, uh, you know, a few objective signs. It asks certain questions of the player, and it reviews um, details of the injury. But even that sideline assessment includes a mandatory review of the injury video. So the team physician and this independent neurospecialist, they go over together, look at the video, look at the mechanism of injury. Then they confer together to discuss what they found, what they heard in the exam, what they saw in the video, and reach a consensus diagnosis. So I think another important thing that people need to know is this is never one person that makes the diagnosis. It's a, it's a team effort among these medical professionals to make that diagnosis. But again, those steps on that sideline evaluation, they're the exact same no matter who triggered it. Then in the sideline examination, if anything is abnormal or unclear, the athlete can go to the locker room for a more extensive exam. We call that our locker room examination. So two different examinations um, depending on that initial screening result. Dr. Alan Sills joins us, Chief Medical Officer for the National Football League. Doctor, the baseline exam that happens uh, before the season starts, what goes into that exam and the process of making sure there's a an accurate and, and clean baseline for players? Because correct me if I'm wrong, that is the goal to get out of the protocol is to meet where you were for those baseline initial readings, correct? What goes into that test? Yeah, it's part of the, the, the finishing of the protocol, but let's talk first about the baseline. So, so there are a couple of components. Um, the players undergo what's called a, a SCAT exam, S-C-A-T, which stands for the um, Sport Concuss- Concussion Assessment Tool. So it's a standardized battery of tests that um, are used around the world. It's been validated as a, as a good um, screening mechanism and tool for concussion, uh, the types of, of, of issues that are affected by concussion. And so the athlete will take that and have that documented at baseline in the uninjured state. And as you said, the goal is if they get injured, you can compare their scores back to that exam. But you also have a neuropsychological battery of testing. And those are more extensive tests looking at memory, at processing speed. Um, um, it's usually done in a combination of some of it that is Uh, paper and pencil testing, and then some that's done by a computerized process. So that's another form of the baseline exam, and players tend to get that at least every other year. And so in both cases, after they're injured, you go back and repeat those same two tests, and you compare them to the baseline scores as part of that process to decide if they're recovered. Now, you have to remember along with that, you're going to progressively exert the athlete, You're also going to be monitoring for any new symptoms. And all of that goes into the mix of decision-making about when they're ready to return. Doctor, my apologies if you you kind of went over this in that initial answer about the protocol itself, but I want to make clear on this. So if a player were to say, hey, listen, I'm a little bit dazed after that last play, or if a player's indication or, or flag waving is what forces the evaluation there on the sideline, is it possible that they are in fact not, t- you know, that they are determined that they don't need to go into the protocol or does that automatically put them into the protocol? No, in fact, it does not. And, and it's a really good point. I would say we do three to four negative concussion evaluations for every one that we diagnose. Okay. 
meaning most of our concussion exams are going to be negative. And that is a that is a number that we and the Players Association advisors are very comfortable with. Again, back to my statement, we want to have a really broad net so that we don't miss anyone who might be injured. And so just because someone raises their hand and says, hey, I think I might be injured, that doesn't affect the outcome of that exam. We're still going to do the best uh, exam we can. Now, obviously, if they endorse certain symptoms, um, then they're more likely to be diagnosed. And, and in fact, we have a few symptoms which are called no-go criteria. If you have one of those, then you're automatically diagnosed with a concussion. But those are things like a loss of consciousness, confusion or amnesia, you can't remember anything, or the fencing posture where you see someone with a very abnormal posture of their arms or legs. So those are an immediate concussion diagnosis. If you don't have one of those, then just the fact that you say, I have this symptom or that, you know, you're still going to get that evaluation. And I think one other thing your listeners would really be interested in and probably surprised by, up to about a third of our concussion evaluations have some component of self-report, meaning the player themselves or, or their teammates are the ones who actually initiate the evaluation. That's a statistic we track every year. And, and I just think that's something that we're really proud of because it, it shows that players understand, hey, this could be a serious injury. If I don't feel well, I need to speak up. I need to get evaluated. And we just applaud players for that. And, and, and I will say this about Anthony Richardson's situation. Again, we should give him tremendous credit for speaking up and endorsing symptoms um, because that's what we want to encourage players really at all levels of sport to do is that this is not an injury you can play through. If you think you, you don't feel right and you, you may have a concussion, it's so important to immediately speak up and, and get the proper attention. And so I, I do want to call out and just applaud him for that and, and just say that that's not unusual. We see that, as I mentioned, in up to about a third of our evaluations. Dr. Alan Sills is our guest. He's the chief medical officer for the National Football League and, of course, talking about the concussion protocol. Doctor, uh, I'm curious of this as well, even for you know non-athletes, right, for the for the the average person who's working in their yard and slips and falls, whatever it might be, when one is being evaluated for concussion-like symptoms, are there times where a concussion is determined based subjectively, or is there always some sort of a physical evidence you're looking for that is the determining factor that a concussion has taken place? No, you've hit the nail on the head in something really important. The overwhelming majority of times, it is the subjective or self-reported endorsed symptoms that make the diagnosis. It's very rare, in contrast, to have objective symptoms where, let's say, one pupil is not working correctly or you notice muscle weakness or <clears throat> excuse me, something of that nature. So, so this is an injury that's very, very reliant in the diagnosis and management on the patient's self-reported symptoms. And that's why uh, we emphasize so much how important it is to report those symptoms and to be fully honest and transparent about them because that is our best guide. And, and we really struggle to make a diagnosis, you know, outside of those obvious no-go criteria that I mentioned a few minutes ago, we struggle to make a diagnosis if we don't have a really cooperative and compliant patient. And so that's a, that's a key element of making a good diagnosis and, and also helping someone return safely to play after concussion. It, it does feel like, doctor, that this is maybe not as common as it would have been, say, 10 or 15 years ago. The, the gruff machismo, right, of the like, I'll play through anything. Give me a smelling salt and I'm going back out there. I got to keep my job, that kind of – you know, that mentality certainly was prevalent in all sports at one time. I think there's more awareness now. But do you have to guard against that? I mean, do you – are there – you don't have to say what they are, but are there certain things that you guys are looking for that indicate that a player is trying to bluff his way through it? Well, I think you're right that there's been a sea change in how players and, and others perceive this um, over the last uh, 
number of years, certainly over the last decade. I mean, I've been doing sports medicine for over 25 years, and I've certainly seen that on sidelines. And so players and, and coaches and everyone are much more likely to report nowadays than they were 15 or 20 years ago, and that's a good thing. But I think we can never take that for granted. We have to continue with the education and continue to emphasize for each new generation of players why this is so important and why they need to speak up. I do think, you know, I often say that today's NFL players have sort of grown up with a concussion protocol, meaning that, you know, they had one in high school, they had one in college. And so it's a familiar thing to them. And But it's something we can never take for granted. We have to continue to educate and emphasize how important it is. But I do think that the culture has dramatically changed. And, and as I mentioned a minute ago, we have a couple of episodes every year where a head coach will bring a player over to the medical staff and say, you know, I think this person is injured and I really want you to check him out. I can't conceive of that happening 20 years ago, but that's just part of our game today. And I think it's a very, very positive development. and shows how much progress has been made on the education and awareness of this injury. Dr. Sills, the five-step process, symptom-limited activity, aerobic exercise, football-specific exercise, club-based non-contact training drills, and then full football activity slash clearance. I know it's a case-by-case basis, but as those are formulated, which one is is generally the toughest to get out or not get out of, but graduate to in that five-step process? I wouldn't say there's one more than the other. I mean, I think the key is just, again, very careful symptom monitoring as someone enters that protocol. And and obviously the last step of that is full contact. And so um, that doesn't mean putting someone in a game, but it means simulating contact for them or putting them in a full contact practice. And so it's just key that every one of those steps is done and that there's careful monitoring along the way. Um, I think we mentioned earlier that in addition to those five steps, players have to go back and take those baseline evaluations again, the SCAD exam and the neuropsychological examination. And they're also seen by what we call an INC, an independent neuroconsultant. That's a neuroexpert in concussion who doesn't work with or for the team, who sees the player independently and, and make sure that they agree they fully recovered. And then the team physician also has to make that determination. So, there are a lot of steps and a lot of layers to that return to play pro, uh, program. And, and it's designed that way on purpose because, again, we want to make really, really sure that we don't have an athlete who might still be injured returning to play too soon. Doctor, my last question for this, and I appreciate your time on what I know is a busy time from you. Um, my last question regarding the concussion protocol is kind of twofold. And one sounds flippant. I'm being half serious with it. During training camp, I noticed that players wear on their helmets kind of like that extra external padding. The Colts, in the Colts case, they're just yeah, blue. Guardian cap. And, and, yeah. and that is apparently for this reasoning. If the NFL is committed towards the safety at all times neurologically of players and that does appear to be providing extra benefit, why are they not wearing them in games? Yeah, it's a great question, and I will tell you that last year was the first year that we used them in practice situations. It was on a subset of players, and it was not primarily introduced to prevent concussion, which might sound a little strange to you, but the reason that it was introduced and the reason the the, the device was initially designed was to reduce any impact that happened to the helmet in, in any kind of manner. So inadvertent contact or play contact that involved contact of the helmet, you wanted to reduce that force. It's just reducing force anytime the helmet is contacted. Our overall effort is to say, hey, let's not hit the head anyway. Uh, let's avoid head contact whenever possible. The, think of that padding as being there for anytime there is inadvertent contact, like a player hitting the ground or inadvertent collision with a teammate. So last year we used it in a subset of players in practice. It was the first time it had been worn 
at the NFL level in that manner. There was experience, however, at the NCAA level with using it in practice. No one has experience really in game participation yet. And so we don't want to introduce anything into the game environment until we're sure, A, that it's going to be beneficial, and B, that it's not going to be harmful in any way. And so we're doing that work now and trying to do that due diligence um, to look at those issues. But I think the, the bigger message is how can we design a better helmet that incorporates the, the, the principles of the padding and the, and the benefits um, in, into a better helmet that can be used in all situations, games and practices. So we're doing that work. I think there'll be a lot more to say about that, but that's why we've tried to use it and introduce it incrementally is just based on the data that we do have and the experience that we have and making certain that we don't put anything into play that, that could be harmful in any way due to some unanticipated consequence. And then the other side of that, the, the second half of my last point here is, or question, with the NFL Players Association now seemingly requesting that fields go to natural grass i think that probably is more like a tendon type prevention of injury but getting away from the field turf and those kinds of things does that in any way shape or form is there evidence to say that a natural surface is a safer impact neurologically speaking than an artificial one yeah, that is something that we've looked at, and, and we continue to look at um, surfaces against all injuries. We haven't really found substantial differences in terms of concussion rates or concussion incidents. Uh, but again, an area that we're very, very actively studying, and, and it is important. You, you raise a great point. If you're talking about safety on a surface, you can't just look at one injury. You can't just look at ankle sprains or knee injuries. You've got to think about all injuries, including concussion, shoulder whatever it might be. And so um, really complicated topic. Gosh, it would take us an hour to talk through that one. But I would just say a lot of work going on together collectively, as you mentioned, between the league and the Players Association and our engineers and our experts to look at those issues. How often when you're driving to work at Vanderbilt in Nashville, do you get hung up in traffic by seven bachelorette parties on the back of school buses? <laughs> Does that happen a often? A lot more than I used to. <laughs> a whole lot more than I used to ten years ago. We, you ain't we kidding, are definitely man. the bachelorette party capital of the world. <laughs> you ain't kidding. It is. Uh, hey, it's Nash Vegas for a reason. They got that <laughs> moniker right. Hey, doctor, I That's appreciate right. the it time. Uh, fabulous insight, and I appreciate your patience with uh, my naivety on all of it. So, certainly appreciate the time today. And if the situation presents itself again, we'd love to have you back. Hey, Jake, uh, Jimmy, really appreciate it. Good luck to you guys and happy to be with you. I appreciate it so much. Dr. Alan Sills, who is the chief medical officer for the National Football League. Um, Eddie, nice job on that and lining that up. He Great was, work, Eddie. He was very good. Uh, interesting stuff, too, especially about the – and I, I glad I, I'm glad he, he gave the explanation on, like, the padding things that I'm talking about on the helmet because I know that I'm – it sounds like I'm trying to be funny, but I'm really not because I, I saw those in practice more and more – and I'm thinking to myself, if the league is in fact 100% in on protecting concussions and these are apparently doing that, then why are they not? So it sounds like, crazy as it sounds, I mean, I don't know, you guys tell me, it sounded to me like they're open to possibly, if there is proof positive that they're effective, that being implemented in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I mean, I think that's always been the thought when they were introduced, the Guardian Caps, that maybe they could go from just being a proof of concept idea in practice to maybe one day make it to the NFL. I will say, and this is a very, you said naivete, this is very naive of me to say this, but they don't look particularly sexy. Like I, I they don't, they don't look like the, the well, that's like, the thing. How do you put the logos? Yeah. You're right. I, that, that's my only thing with them. I mean, I would think, and of course then, then everybody would start looking like the great gazoo. <laughs> I, I, I would think 
that if they were going to use those, that it would be another layer that would still then have a hard shell over it. And you kind of see with that the logo. if you fall, and I only see it when it gets retweeted by Adam Schefter or something, but I feel like every other year or so you see an advancement in NFL helmet technology, like, oh, the, the, there's a new level of padding in the helmet that's supposed to reduce head-to-head collisions by 20%. Or like right. they, They're always fine-tuning it in some way, but have not made a, a big leap to fully like revolutionize the design of the helmet. Did you play Little League football at any I, point? A, a, a little bit in, in grade school. What kind of helmets did you wear? Do you remember? Riddle helmets, I think. I don't... Yeah, that was the... the is it Riddle or Rydell? I don't know. That's just shows you what i know when i was when i was playing riddle right now i don't know either whichever one it is that or bike those were the two helmets that were like if you had those man those were like nfl level right and then the mouthpieces yes if you had the mouthpiece with the lip guard all the way around like walter payton had (laughs) total total you were you were like the bad dude right most people had you know of course just the little plastic one that you dip in the boiling water and then form it to your mouth and you know whatever else i'm curious the number of Obviously, mouthpieces are not required, I don't think, certainly at the college level. The number of running backs I see that are lining up, they take their mouthpiece out and put it there on this. And, and where is the little the mouthpiece holder on the side of the helmet? Have you ever noticed that? Quarterbacks do that a lot, too. They got like the little holder thing. but So they put it up there, and then they never put it in their mouth. I'm like, well, what's the point of that? It looks cool, right? It looks I, cool, but what's the point? My favorite is when like the DBs or the wide receivers have the ones that you were just talking about, and they just let it hang, and yes. then they run their routes. I just saw, I, I saw that I, literally. What game was I watching like two nights ago? And the guy lines up, and he t- and, and that's exactly right. It was hanging from the face mask, yes. and it's just dang like a pacifier. It's just dangling. I'm like, well, what's going on here? I feel like it's more a, a suggestive piece of equipment at this point, like at your own risk, like not wearing a cup. Do you know one? <laughs> I don't know. There was one guy at Eastwood that wore a cup playing basketball, and we all mocked him. And then one day, it actually paid off for him. If you know what I mean. Do you know one guy that will always have the mouthpiece in? Who's that? DeAndre Hopkins. You know how I know that? Because his nickname's Nuke. You ever heard his nickname is Nuke? Yes. His, his nickname is Nuke because that's a pacifier supplier, and when he was a baby, they couldn't get the pacifier out of his mouth, and it was a Nuke, and that became his nickname. So I bet he always wears a mouthpiece. By the way, Rhett Lewis is next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Just had a great conversation with Dr. Alan Sills, Chief Medical Officer for the National Football League. Podcast will be up a little bit later. Just search Query and Company wherever you get your podcast. Of course, you can find it at 1075thefan.com. We continue our line of great guests. Rhett Lewis of the NFL Network, as well as a color analyst for the Indiana Hoosiers, taking some time with us here on Query and Company. Rhett, how are you on a Wednesday? What's up, fellas? Doing great. Excited to get back to Bloomington on uh, Friday morning and uh, get ready for another big game there at the Rock. Right. I don't know if you know this or not, but on this program, um, you know, that I've probably made some crazy statements over the years, but I, I am fully, <laughs> fully convinced of this. Are you ready? Okay, I think they even ran a show promo of this. Everybody's talking. Well, let's begin with this before we get to NFL talk. It's coming back that week, by the way. It's coming back. Eddie has it saved. It's going it's to okay. make a reappearance okay, good. that week. Um, we'll begin with this from a college standpoint, Rhett, and we'll begin on a serious note before yeah. we get to my prediction. Yeah. In the college football playoff this year, of the four teams that are going to be represented in the college football playoff, what is the total number of losses? Uh, good question. Um, 
I think I would say I would say three. Okay, I, I would say that Vegas would put the over under at three, right? Yep. And I think it. Don't laugh at me here. Before my wild prediction, I I think it could be as high as five. Like I could actually see three one loss teams. And then even a two, I don't know which one it would be, but I'm just saying this year it seems so topsy-turvy, especially with the portal and everything else, that yeah. you're just going to have – I think it's possible that a – I don't think it'd be Bama, but somebody of that ilk that has two losses, if they get enough wins on their resume, can find their way in. And I, I think it's possible there's yeah. not an undefeated team. So here's here's what, my math on that. Um, I, I don't even know that Alabama's going to the playoffs, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think, threw them as yeah. like the generic yeah, I, example. I, I think Georgia could very well go undefeated, right? I mean, they're not maybe as good as they were a year ago, but the SEC East is, you know, it, it doesn't hold a candle to the West, uh, in my opinion. So they get through there. If they, can, if they can go through an SEC championship game, they go in undefeated. I think Michigan could go in undefeated. Uh, and then I, I think you're going to see a team out of the Pac-12, and I'm I'm looking at Washington right now, man. I, you know we're going to see they got you know they got to get Oregon, they got to get USC, and, and all that. But I, that's a damn good team. Obviously, a quarterback we know very well uh, here in Indiana. So um, that that's an interesting one to me. But uh, you know whether you know the Big Ten can get two teams in, I think you know at that point you'd see you'd obviously see another loss. So here here's the curveball in all of it. Okay. Yeah. The curveball in all of it happens midway through October when, and I know where you're going to be, so I would just advise that when you're calling the game, as soon as the game's over, that you get into an open space or area when the earth shakes because the college football world is going to be turned upside down and the football playoff frenzy is going to start and all hell breaks loose on October 14th when the fight in Indiana Hoosiers go in and stun 105,000 quiet, silenced people at Michigan Stadium. I'm telling you right now, Michigan's going to go in there. They're going to have their dockers. They're going to be all excited. They're, they're, They're looking at Ohio State, they're looking at game day, the whole nine yards, and and, and Indiana is going to go in and stun the world. That is the college football's biggest upset of the year is going to be Indiana at Michigan. Dude, I love it. I absolutely love it. And uh, you're speaking my language here because I'm telling you right now, there are winnable games on this schedule left for Indiana to go bowl eligible and beyond this year. We got ourselves a quarterback, which is pretty damn exciting. Um, and there's a couple of things that we can get into it if you guys want to, but that really impressed me with, with a young quarterback, you know, that could be here for a, another few years with Taven Jackson. And he's going to be a big piece of this push for IU. And, and his defense is much better than it was a year ago. There's a lot to like about what, what's going on here, despite the one and two record. But the other side of that, Rhett, let's be real, is because it's a young quarterback, and I do think he's talented, don't get me wrong, but yeah. they also there also is the potential for getting out of the box slowly in conference play and the roof caving oh, in, sure. right? Yeah. Look, every game that you look at on the schedule is winnable. The, the other team does too. You know, like they, they see Indiana on the schedule. They're like, okay, well, you know, that's one of those ones we got to have. You know, and, and, you know, we certainly see it the same way uh, as you as you look down the conference slate, um, you know, on IU schedule. But I think you're right. I think there's some growing pace. I think we saw. Like that. that's what's almost more encouraging to me about Taven's performance against Louisville is, I think there was 14 to you know 20 points left out on the field with some big plays that didn't go 
uh, IU's way. I mean, you know, James Bond was running scot free down the middle of the field on the on, in the first quarter on that first drive on an offsides call and got to, you know, Taven just didn't see it. Um, you know, it's a surefire touchdown. There's a couple other ones in there. So I think he's going to continue to get better now that he's getting all those reps as the one quarterback. We're going to see some development. Rhett Lewis of NFL Network joins us. Rhett, looking big picture NFL, Jake and I talked about this before the season started, and this is common knowledge for football fans, but it feels like every year there's teams that make the jump for the playoffs after being a non-playoff team the year before, and every year there's teams that were playoff teams that are viewed as untouchable that take a step back. I want to stick with the latter for the purposes of this conversation. I know it's not overreaction Monday anymore, but... Are the Bengals that team, or is there a chance they're going to be that team this year? Oh, man. I, you know what? I went back and I watched uh, Joe Burrow, um, Joe Burrow's performance this last week with a critical eye, and I, I came away, you know, thinking like, dang, yeah, this is this is a dude that we know and love as a quarterback, and um, I, I think right now they, they've got some issues defensively. Like, they've got to find a way to get off the field, get the ball back into Burrow. I and, mean, look, I, I think this all comes down to whether Burrow is going to be healthy enough to where we're not wondering, you know, how is it going to hinder his performance week in and week out. If we can get past that point, I think the Bengals find themselves back into the postseason. I don't care if it's just a wild card because they can beat anybody uh, if, if that offense is truly rolling. They haven't even gotten Jamar Chase going yet. Like, that's going to happen. Um, so I, I'm not ready to throw, you know, to jump off the, the Bengals bandwagon just yet. You ever seen, Rhett, um, I think it was a, a DiCaprio movie. Uh, what was the one, Jimmy, what was the DiCaprio movie where he's um, Inception? Is that what it's called? Where it's like about his dreams? Dream and, within a dream within yeah. a dream, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Have like you ever that. seen that, Rhett? I, you know, I, people talk about that all the time. Um, like it's like a you know a riddle wrapped, wrapped up in enigma. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's one yeah one of those mental thrillers or whatever. Well, I, it was I, awful. Did you? So yeah. you haven't you haven't seen it, right? <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. So <laughs> you understood it, Jimmy? I, I, mean, I think so. Yeah. yeah okay. Did. So if they, if they said they did. They're lying to you. All right, I'm lying Ex- to you. I guess, bingo. Jake, that's exactly bad. right. Red, Pulp Fiction, same way. Everybody walks out of Pulp Fiction, yeah. coolest movie ever, and then they had to watch it six more times before they understood. Right. It. Uh, what <laughs> NFL team this year is that movie? What NFL team is the one that you watch it three times and you're like, I don't know that I have any more answer on what they're all about than I did when I started? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, this early in the season, you could probably give off a a number of answers. I think right now the one that fits to me the most is the New York Giants. Like, are are they the team we saw for six quarters that couldn't get out of their own way, couldn't score, couldn't stop anybody? You know, they had trouble dealing with, you know, one of the best teams in the league in the Cowboys and one of the worst teams, if not the worst team in the league in the Arizona Cardinals. And then they come out in the second half and it's like, holy smokes, there's the dude we're paying $45 million a year, Daniel Jones. And, and I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's why I was optimistic about this team to begin with. Now, but what happened before? Is that just, you know, a little bit of a feeling out process on the season? Did we find something you know, in the second half. So, like, that's a team where I am – I'm just not sure yet. I'm not sure what to expect week to week. I'm certainly not sure what to expect tomorrow against, you know, one of the best teams in the NFC, if not the league, in the San Francisco 49ers. How much difference is there for quarterbacks today, Rhett? Rhett Lewis is our yeah. guest, by the way, on the hotline from NFL Network and, of course, the IU Football Radio Network. I, the, I feel like 30 years ago – when a quarterback, yeah. you know, Rick Meyer will take, right? Rick sure. Meyer, Drew Bledsoe. When they came into the league, there was – it was a bigger 
almost I'll use the word crapshoot of how good quarterbacks were going to be because there was such a difference schematically for a quarterback between college and the NFL. But it seems like now NFLs are running more of a hybrid college-style offense. Is the learning curve shorter for an Anthony Richardson, for a C.J. Stroud, than it would have been if they entered the league 15 years ago? Uh, You know, it's – it, I struggle with that question a lot because, like, we see we've seen both sides of the coin, right? You see, like, the best quarterback in the league today didn't play; his, he didn't hardly play his first year, right? And Patrick Mahomes, um, and then you know you see you see the opposite. There's plenty of cases where guys have come in and done really well their first year. I think it comes down to three things, uh, guys. I think it comes down to uh, play caller, right? And and that is you know you look at Brock Purdy; he's got arguably the best play play caller in football and Kyle Shanahan. He's able to come in as a, as a guy, you know, as a un, Mr. Irrelevant and absolutely run that offense p- to perfection. Okay. And then the next thing is playmakers. Well, that's another thing Brock Purdy had. Debo Samuel, Brandon IU, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, uh, list goes on there. Uh, so playmaker, play caller. And then, you know, like you got to be able to make some plays on your own, uh, you know, and you've got to be a little bit of a playmaker and, he, and you know, like, Again, just using the Purdy example, he's got that. He's got that ability to whatever it is, find buy some time for himself, find a way to make a play, whether it's using his legs or, or, or using his arm. So, like those things are important. Like, but that's institutional for the most part. Play caller, playmaker. Do you have those things? If you do, you're likely to find some immediate success. And then the next thing is look at what we've seen in today's league, like in the last year or two, or, or even just to, yeah, take the last year or two experience for a quarterback. Brock Purdy started like 45 games at Iowa state. Dorian Thompson Robinson started like a hundred games at uh, UCLA and, you know, won the number two quarterback job in Cleveland as an undrafted free agent or as a six round pick, whatever it was. Um, I think you're seeing more and more cases of guys that have played better and played more in college football be more ready to play and be better once they get to the league. Look at like the Mitch Trubisky example. Uh, you know, started what 12 games before he was taken the top of the draft by the Bears a few years ago. It didn't work out for him. You know, and you're hoping that Anthony Richardson in Indianapolis is the opposite, right? You know, started 13 games at Florida. And you're, you know, you're hoping that his athleticism and his ability, you know, to be a dynamic playmaker, both on the ground and in the air that, you know, gives you an opportunity to find immediate success. So um, I think those are kind of some interesting trends to follow. So with that, and I think so much of the quarterbacking position in the National Football League, Rhett, can yeah. be like mental, right? Just it's, Oh, sure. And does Justin, is Justin Fields current, yeah. I'm not going to say slump, but like his his being on the treadmill right now or stuck in quicksand, is Justin Fields stuck in quicksand because it's mental for him or because the physical schemes of the game just continue to elude him? So that that's in this is an interesting case to like challenge, you know, what I was talking about here or to validate it, right? Because, you know, you had I don't know if you guys saw the quotes from Fields just a little while ago, right? It said, you know, I've been too robotic and you know, just based on the tweets that I was reading of, of guys that were in that press conference, you know, said that he was then you know, the follow up to that uh, being too robotic, you know, the why question, his answer was coaching. You're like, whoa. Um, you know, you don't normally see that honest of an answer uh, from a, from a player if the coaching is a perceived issue. But I would say that 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 is something you've got to follow. Right? Is the play caller there? 
Uh, is the play caller there somebody who can put Justin Fields in the best possible situations and scenarios to find success, utilizing his skill set? They still don't have the playmakers. I mean, even DJ Moore, you know, last week with the 100-yard game was nice, and, and they need more of that. But they, they're still not there with playmakers yet. So have we truly done enough to support Justin Fields at an institutional level from GM and coaches finding the right people to put in his camp and then the, surrounding him with the right amount of talent to, whether, to know whether you can get a true evaluation. I think we, we were talking about that. We were selling Daniel Jones down the road uh, in New York a couple, just a, you know, a year ago, and then he comes out and has a career year with one of the better offensive coaches in football and Brian Dable. So I, I, that's a tough one, right? You know what might be the highlight of the year for Justin Fields, quite frankly, is when he sees that his arch-rival Michigan gets stunned on October 14th when (laughs) Indiana comes rolling into the big house. Let's go. He's going to be fired up about that. Yeah, no doubt. He's going to feel really good. I don't know who they're playing that week, but it might not matter. (laughs) Rhett Lewis with us, host on NFL Network. You also know him as well as a color analyst for IU Football Radio. Rhett, as a former wide receiver, the argument I've made this week, because there's so many questions around the Colts wide receiver room and decisions they're going to have to make this offseason and a pushback to that last couple years is, well, look who's been throwing them the ball. How valuable is having a backup like Gardner Minshew available for as long as Richardson may or may not need to miss time for those wide receivers, knowing there's a level of competency for not only them from a growth standpoint, like Josh Down, like Alec Pierce is a second year wide out, but also for the Colts as they're still trying to evaluate what that wide receiver room is going to look like next year. Yeah, you know, I think that's a that's a good question. I mean, I love Gardner Minshew. Uh, I've, I've loved him. Got to spend some time around him um, before he got into the league. And I mean, he's just a he's a fun dude to be around. He loves football. He loves working at football. He'd be coaching if he wasn't playing. Uh, you know the whole story, right? Which got him to Washington State with Mike Leach, and then finds himself in the league. Um, you know, and you know, he's had opportunities to start and win games as we saw this past week and come in and help you win a game too. So I think that was a huge get, uh, for, for Chris Ballard and company in Indy to bring in an experienced pro like that in Gardner. So I think he can definitely help, uh, the development of, of some young receivers. And let's be honest, like the Colts need more from a guy like Alec Pierce, like he is capable of more like his, his talent, his skill set is he was one of my favorite players in the draft uh, a couple when, two years ago when he came out of Cincinnati. That dude, that dude can absolutely play in this league in a big way, and, and they need more out of him. I need more out of Michael Pittman. Um, I think that receiver group needs to continue to develop. I think they've got all the skills and the talent. Um, I, I'd still love to see you know another piece, another piece in there. You know, somebody maybe with a little bit more of the kind of stop-start shiftiness, uh, provide some of that quickness, that separation guy like you see you saw just this last week in tank bell uh for the houston texans we'll kind of love to see that for the colts i love the colts tight end room um you know kylan granson gets his first td mo alley cox jelani woods when he's healthy is, is a big time player um and then we saw will mallory uh right so like there's i, I think there's some targets there and i think you know you still gotta work on getting those guys you know up to up to their potential and, and i know they will but um 
I, I think there's obviously still a need for some more pieces, but there's some growth that needs to happen there too. Indiana and Akron taking to the field 7.30 Saturday night. You can hear that, yes. that game over on our sister station, WIBC. Rhett and Don Fisher on the call. Rhett, appreciate the insight. Look forward to having you back on, but appreciate the time yeah. today. Enjoy the game Saturday night. Yeah, definitely, guys. Appreciate it. Anytime. That's, uh, again, Rhett Lewis. You ever been to Akron, by the way, Jimmy? I've not. You Have know, you? The, uh, I've driven through it. I mean, yeah, if you've ever been to Cleveland, like it's kind of, I'll be honest, like, I mean, Akron is definitely its own city, but you know, Cleveland is a metroplex. I don't, I don't know that people realize that, and it's kind of weird, like when you go through it, um, between Kent and then like you know all the areas around Cleveland, it, it's kind of hard to, to know which one technically it's sometimes that you're in, but I've gone through like downtown Akron, but um you know, it's the uh, the rubber capital of the world, baby. Goodyear and Firestone right there in Akron, and then, of course, LeBron as well. But it is, I, I think they call it, like, r- what, Rubber City or I don't know. Something like that. Yeah, either way. Um, Go Zips. Yeah, I, Akron is, is Akron the most obscure Mac school? Has to be. I mean, honestly, like, you, th- you have all the directional schools, right? And then I think most people know about Kent State because, you know, they've had some runs in basketball and then, you know, the Antonio Gates factor and et cetera, et cetera, like... But, like, Akron, other than, like, LeBron James being a kid from Akron, like, you never hear about Akron, the school, right? Are they still the Zips? Yes. Do we know the origin of Zips? No. Zips were a popular uh, shoe when I was a kid. Stride right had Zips. Run fast, cut sharp. Zips, tennis shoes. But but I don't know anything about can – you, can you find out why they're called the Zips? It has to it has to do something with rubber. I I, I would guarantee it. It's got to be something to do with rubber. Can you can you find the answer and let us know on the other side? I can. Okay, and then Joel A. Erickson it too. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. So, Eddie, um, do we have a bouncer again at the in the break room? I suppose. Okay. Fair enough. I'd like to thank everybody that's listening to us on the YouTube page and enjoying the YouTube conversation. Uh, Jimmy, did you look up the origin of Zips? I, I don't think it's named after the Stride Right tennis shoes. I was able to find it. Okay. It's from Akron's they official. They do. We'll Zippy? get to that Is too. Zippy? Zippy the mascot. Is it we'll Zippy? Get to that as well. yes. Zippy All the right. mascot. In 1927, a campus-wide contest was conducted to choose a nickname for the university's athletic teams. Student Margaret Hamlin suggested Zippers... Jake, which was also the name of a popular rubber overshoe sold by Akron's B.F. Goodrich Company. In really? 1950, then-athletic director Kenneth Red Cochran shortened the name to Zips. Listen, I'm not saying that Margaret had some non-creative classmates, but <laughs> but if that was the best that was submitted after zipper tennis shoes, you said? Yes. Okay. Uh, then for Zippy, by the way, 54 years ago, student council David Fry, their president, decided the university needed a mascot. Zippy the kangaroo was officially declared UA's mascot kangaroo. on May 1st, 1950. Now, why a kangaroo? Doesn't elaborate on that. What the hell is the relevance of a kangaroo in Akron? There's Zippy in, in the flesh. Zippy's kind of cool looking. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Zippy's cool, right? Yeah. But I don't understand the kangaroo reference. I'll dig further for that. I mean... 
I'm sitting here racking my brain trying to come up with a connection why a kangaroo. It's kind of cool, but do you know what university is the kangaroos? No. Do you know what? If you, if you get this correct, I will be highly, highly, highly impressed. Well, I've always okay? risen to the task for trivia questions. This is a big one. By the way, UMKC, which I think now is just simply known as Kansas City, UMKC is the kangaroos. But do you know what prominent athlete in the 1980s put ruse tennis shoes on the map by wearing them as sport cleats, rubber pelleted cleats? Ruse, of course, were popular because they had a little pocket on the underside of the tongue where you could put like your key or your $10 bill or whatever, and the pocket is why they were called ruse. I have a pair of ruse, by the way. You want me to wear my ruse tomorrow? Please do. Okay. Walter Payton. Bingo, baby. Woo! Look at you. Look Let's at the go. big brain on Jimmy. Walter Payton is indeed correct. That is huge, man. Not as big as Joel A. Erickson, who's our next guest. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Joel A. Erickson set to join us real quick. Uh, house cleaning note, little public service announcement, if you will. You guys have heard and I have told you about, right, the road trip that I do every year with my buddy Mike Byron, uh, which I'm doing. I think I've told you guys about it, but uh, we did it. The first year that we did it was in honor of our friend Turhan, who had passed away. We went down to Austin, Texas to get Turhan's car to bring it back up to Turhan's folks. And so we go on a road trip every year in Turhan's honor where we fly somewhere rent a car, and then drive home. And we're doing that here coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. But uh, Mike's wife, Anne-Marie, today is her 39th birthday. Would like to wish her a happy birthday and also offer that she is, in my book, one of the walking saints of the earth because thanks to her, I have to do things with Mike a lot less. So that's good, right? <laughs> happy birthday. That's right. So happy birthday to Anne-Marie, the pride, by the way, of speaking of Akron, of Cleveland, Ohio. Joining us now on the hotline, he is with the Indianapolis Star, covering the Indianapolis Colts. Joel A. Erickson joins us, noted Milwaukee Brewer fan. Um, Joel, first off, Brewers, yay, nay, uh, deep playoff run. Um, I, I mean, the smart thing to do is say nay. Like the, I like the pitching, but the, the, the lineup could go dead at any time, and that, that usually means a short playoff stay. That's true for any team, though, I guess, right? I mean, pitching is what's going to win it for you in the postseason for the most part. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I, I predicted a while ago, though, clearly they're the most consistent team uh, in the division. But in Milwaukee, would be a hell of a fun place to go up and watch a playoff game. But let's get back to the Colts themselves. Um, we will begin with, as we had mentioned earlier, and you tell me if there's anything further to elaborate on this. But as of now, both Anthony Richardson and Ryan Kelly still in the concussion protocol and not expected to practice today. Do you believe that that in any way, shape, or form means definitively that neither will play on Sunday, or do you think either one of them still works their way back? Um, it, it doesn't mean that they can't. Uh, without, I mean, the, the concussion protocol is so... Like, concussions are so finicky that there's no way to predict whether or not they're going to. But, like, it doesn't mean that they can't, that they're not practicing today. Because the, the two day, there's, there's two days of practice, and the, the last step, the fifth step, the one that's full contact practice, there is something within the NFL protocol that for players to do if it's a Saturday, and that's the last step, uh, 
to clear it even if their team is not going through a full practice. So, no, it doesn't definitively it doesn't mean anything. It just means they're not out there today. Joel, is this part of the reason I know there's many reasons why, but part of the reason why it's a luxury to have somebody like Gardner Minshew as the backup quarterback. I mean, one angle we've been talking about all week, and we talked about it earlier today, in fact, is the good continuity that's already established there and his ability as a quarterback for a wide receiver room that is needed. Competency is at, at that position. No one's banking on Anthony Richardson getting hurt, but this is one of the luxuries of having Minshew, no? Well, I think the biggest thing is just he can seamlessly jump in to Sh- Shane Steichen's offense, I think, without you know much in the way of practice reps since the middle of training camp. And, you know, kind of just know where he's supposed to go, know where the ball's supposed to go. Uh, I think the other thing is that Steichen knows him. Uh, he already knows, you know, what Minshew can do and what he can't do. He didn't have to learn him in the offseason. I think that probably helps, too, in terms of, you know, th- there's obviously some limitations on Minshew's play. And if you're working with somebody you don't necessarily know all that well, it's harder to, to game plan around those. He, he knows Minshew inside and out after being with him for a couple years in Philly. Joel, give me an area for the Colts so far, albeit only two games, that has pleasantly surprised you. Uh, the the defensive line, the defensive line has has been they, they've got the eight sacks, but they've also got seventeen. The, the Colts have seventeen tackles for loss, and they've been they've been pretty darn dominant in the run game. I mean, you you expect that with Grover Stewart and uh, DeForest Buckner, obviously, but they've gotten really good play from Quiddy Pay. Uh, and from Samson Abukum, like they they they've been very dominant up front. They they currently lead the NFL in average yards per carry allowed in the running game. The the passing game stuff, I think they've been good in the pass rush. This is a the, the one thing to remember is that this this first four game stretch, they have to play Trevor Lawrence, uh, Lamar Jackson, and Matthew Stafford, and those three quarterbacks are among the seven fastest in terms of like the time it takes them to throw the ball after it's been snapped to them. So I think the sack numbers are going to end up looking a little, might at the end of this, might look a little weaker than the pass rush actually is because these guys just get the ball out really fast. Stafford wasn't sacked at all by San Francisco of all teams last week. Joel, from that stat and you watching two games into the season, does that feel like a stylistic point of emphasis from the coaching staff for Richardson to get the ball out quick? Or do you think this is a large part of not what they want to do in the short term as he adjusts to the NFL, the long term they want him to be, as the league says, you know, get rid of the ball as quick as you can and, and make good decisions in a quick and timely fashion. Is that what his style you think is going to be throughout his career? Is an emphasis on getting the ball out quick, or is that a short-term, hey, this is the way we want you to go through progressions at this stage of your career? I, I think that Steichen is going to want him to get the ball out uh, quick for the most part. You know, I think he's going to want to be out and on time. I asked him it directly today, and I think by now you guys probably know what we've learned, that Shane Sykin doesn't want to tell us anything uh, that another team could in, could in theory in any way use against them from a game-planning stand, standpoint. But I do think this is the way he wants him to play. It's, it's, it's somewhat uh, remarkable just – sort of given Richardson's reputation that he's 10th fastest so far because, number one, he's a rookie. Uh, Stroud and Young are both among the slowest in getting the ball out of their hands. Number two, he's known as a runner. Outside of Jackson, just about every other quarterback who's known as a, as a runner is among the slowest. And then I think 
I don't know. This this probably isn't. Uh, this probably wasn't deserved necessarily. But he sort of had a reputation as like going to be a guy who runs around and just kind of wings it. And those guys are also at the bottom. Of, like Mahomes is is one of the slower guys in terms of getting it out because he's too busy, you know, running around and creating something ridiculous. Like he doesn't. He, all those things are things that have been said about Richardson in one way or the other, or in the case of the youth thing, is that just true? Um, so it is a little bit remarkable that two games, I mean, I know it's an abbreviated game, but however many passing attempts in, that he's he's in the top ten in terms of getting his hands out. I think I think that they, they definitely want to push the ball down the field more, and there might be some concepts that go longer, but I, I think Steichen wants to get the ball out of his hands. Do you think that, Joel, that Zach Moss, in the way that he played, or the the, the – just kind of the effort with which he runs in any way, shape, or form affects or influences the way the Colts handle the situation with Twiggy, which is Jonathan Taylor. We're just not saying his name. <laughs> I, I hadn't thought about that, and then I remembered it when he said it. Um, I I don't think so. Um, I, I, I still think ultimately it'll just come down to, uh, you know, to them deciding whether or not they they feel like they can get something back that they consider commensurate value for him, um, but Moss Moss is like he played well on Sunday. He doesn't give a lot, he doesn't give you a lot of extra as a running back, and so I think that that's probably um, I don't think it necessarily would affect it. I mean, I think you can have an effective run game with him, but they also had to play him every single snap which is very straight. That doesn't happen in the NFL. Um, and it's not really sustainable over the long term. So uh, getting another running back in would, would, that they feel like they could play would certainly help. Does the Kareem Hunt signing with Cleveland or the reported signing with Cleveland put to bed, though, the idea that there's going to be a, a legitimate solution in the free agent market to this point? I mean, I know there's been rumors that the Rams might make Cam Akers available. I, I don't know. I don't really have an interest in trading anything of significance for him, even though he's only 24 years old. But does that put to bed real options that the Colts would have if they decide to bring in another body? I I would say that even before the signing, there weren't great options out there. Um, if, if they end up bringing somebody in to pair with Moss in, in, a, in a hypothetical world where uh, the other running back is traded. Um, they, uh, it's not going to be somebody who's going to be a, a huge difference maker. It's just, it's just unlikely. I mean, even Kareem Hunt, who I think the deal I saw was one year for up to four million, which I, I'm guessing means it's incentive laden, is coming off of his worst year in the NFL uh, with Cleveland last year. He didn't, he didn't really have anything left. Uh, it seemed like, and and I mean, Cleveland went out and didn't re-sign him after that. Him and Chubb being together for a long time, so I think that sort of tells you, you know, what the NFL thought uh, in terms of in terms of what they were going to get from him. So it, it's been a while since there was like an obvious option. Um, now it, you know, it, it's it's running back, so you you get little bursts of of stuff uh, a bit of really good play from guys you never hear of again uh you know so that there there could be somebody out there that we're not thinking of maybe maybe trey sermon who's on the practice squad now catches fire in his third chance um but it i don't i don't think that there's really been like a, a difference maker type on the market um 
really, really through training camp. Do you think, Joel, are there any areas from a health standpoint for the Colts that are of concern, aside from Kelly and Richardson, anything else that we're overlooking because of the focus that we're putting on Kelly and Richardson? I I don't think. It doesn't seem like Quentin Nelson's toe is going to keep him out, but, I mean, he's not practicing today. Didn't practice today, today, right? Yep. He's, he's not practicing today. Um, like, I, I don't – we don't know what it is. Like, is it something that can get worse? I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, because um, guys play through stuff all the time. Quentin's played through stuff. I, you know, I think, you know, Garrett Forrest Buckner, every year he's been here, has played through something, like serious things that other players would, would be sidelined for. So I, I wouldn't count Quentin Nelson out, but, I, you know, just not knowing exactly what's going on with his toe and if it's something that could get worse, that, that might be something that would fall into that category from an injury standpoint. Joel, what do you see when you look ahead to Baltimore and the way that the Colts will be challenged on on both sides of the ball? I know the last couple of weeks, the Ravens obviously out to a 2-0 start and a really complete game it felt like against Cincinnati a week ago. How will the Colts be tested regardless of who it is that's out there? Well, I think this is an interesting test for the offensive line in the passing game. And I think that the Colts, I've I've really thought that the Colts' offensive line has been pretty good in the passing game so far. I mean, I know they gave up four sacks against Jacksonville, but two of those sacks were the sort of line of scrimmage, run out of bounds, quarterback version, and it's not really a sack. Um, Like, zero-yard sack is kind of a weird thing to me. Um, So they've been pretty good so far, but Baltimore is going to be the first defense that is going to be aggressive and play a different style than that sort of sit back and let things happen style like they and rush for but Baltimore gets after people and it's going to be interesting to see if, if Kelly can't play um I, I think that complicates things because obviously like the center is, is some, one of the first people who makes most of the line calls along with the quarterback I think you feel comfortable with Minshew doing it but Wesley French uh who came in for Kelly the other day it, it'd be his first start in the NFL I, I think that's going to be interesting um to see if uh, if how they handle a different kind of attack that's maybe not not playing back so much and and maybe more willing to come after the quarterback. Joel A. Erickson is our guest from the Indianapolis Star. Uh, Joel, in terms of Baltimore, I don't know how much you've gotten into the Ravens themselves, but if you are the Ravens, for example, areas for the Colts that you feel are the greatest to exploit because it is the Achilles heel so far of what they've been able to show? Uh, the secondary. They, they, like, the Colts' run defense has been so good. Like the, the, I think the defensive line, the linebackers have been good. But there have been plays to be made in the Colts' secondary. Uh, we saw it with C.J. Stroud. Um, we saw it with Calvin Ridley the week before. Um, and I, I, you know, you don't think of the Ravens as a passing team, but I think if you're if you're the if you're Baltimore's offensive coordinator Todd Munkin, and you're looking at the way the Colts have played so far, and how good they are up front in the running game, I I would be think, I would maybe be just tell Lamar, hey, we're going to come out throwing it, and and try to get the ball out of your hands quick, so you don't necessarily have to run away from the pass rush because, you know, Daryl Baker Jr., Dallas Flowers. Um, that second, that young secondary has looked young and inexperienced at times, and that, that's what I would go. That's what I would do. Joel Juju Brents, um, you know, I've seen some. I mean, it's obviously so early in the, in the kid's career, right? And you know, we know he came in 
Um, got a little behind the eight ball in camp due to injury, et cetera. Um, where do things stand with him? And it's kind of a weird question to ask, I guess, because in totality, this is like just a, a, a grain of sand in his career. But it is an important position to get footing underneath you and start to get rhythm. Uh, where do things stand for the kid from Indy? They, they, I, so I brought this up to defensive backs coach Ron Milas last week. And Ron was adamant. Like He told me like three or four times, there's nothing else going on here. It's just about time. Like, Essentially, like, don't be looking for anything extra. Um, and that's not necessarily, like, I think that's the first conversation I've ever had with him like that. But it was like, he was just like, he just wasn't, on, he was only on the field really for two weeks between the time he was drafted and the time they cut down to, to 53. Uh, they, they, Gus Bradley said yesterday that um, they, they thought he got, he got a lot of reps in practice last week and they're, they're starting to get in there, but Again, like I, just going off of, of, of Ron Miles, the defensive backs coach, they just felt like he just didn't have enough time. And I would say that, you know, with some of the struggle they're having at cornerback, as soon as he has enough time, I'll, I'll be looking for him to get out there just because they, they kind of need to try some things uh, at the cornerback position. And he's, he's the most obvious because he's, he's the one that has been inactive. You know, Jalen Jones has been active and they didn't, they didn't put him in. Um, Brent's is kind of the most obvious solution if they feel like he's ready to play. Joel Erickson joins us, Colts beat writer for the Indy Star. Joel, you mentioned how Shane Steichen likes to keep things close to the chest, and I figured out the perfect analogy for him. He is the high school coach that refuses to put stats on max preps because he thinks it's going to give a competitive <laughs> edge to opposing teams. So I've, I've figured that out on the fly. But I, that, that, that's a lead-up to ask you, Everybody's going to want to know about Anthony Richardson's status and where he is in the concussion protocol. What would you wager the chance that that is found out at some point during availability with Steichen versus it comes out on a a national report or just from Colts.com or something like that, that, hey, there's no Anthony Richardson this week or, hey, he's not cleared the protocol? I, 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 would, put the, I would say if I was putting my card on who's going to announce it to be the NFL's injury report. You know, the, they they have to do stuff at, like they have to declare designations at the end of the week, and then on Saturday they can change those designations. That would be my guess because concussion protocol stuff um, typically it just kind of goes through those channels. It's the, the independent neuro, neurologist is a is part of that, and the symptoms are that way. I I would bet that you're not going to hear anything from Steichen from the podium, and actually I would say that. In the case of this injury specifically, he probably shouldn't say anything more than what he said before because, right. like, I've covered players who got to a certain step in the process and we saw them on the practice field and they had, like, they had an adverse reaction and had to go back. Like, that has happened. I've seen it happen in the concussion protocol. It's not as linear as it, like, it, it, it looks like, you, you know, you just hit all these five steps and there's no there's no chance of going backwards, but that's not how it works. Like if you get to a non-contact practice and you have symptoms again, they push you back. So like, I would say that with a concussion, he probably shouldn't say anything because like you just, you can't put pressure on a player or a neurologist or anything like that with something like this, that like, the symptoms just don't always react the same way with, with, you know, different players. Joel, what's the name of your high school? 
Stanley Boyd. Stanley Boyd. And and who exactly was Stanley? Uh, that's a great question. I think it was a company. I think there's a manufacturing company. That's, that's Stanley is the town I'm from. I have no idea who Boyd is. That's the little town that partnered oh, with Stan- us. Oh, Stanley is the name of the town. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so it's Boyd High School of Stanley, Wisconsin. No, it's 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 Stanley. I'm Boyd sorry. High, it's Stanley Stanley Boyd High School of Stanley, Wisconsin, and Boyd, Wisconsin. The Orioles. Ah, uh, I see. The so Orioles. it's so it's two different. They're the. How'd you know that? Because I went to Max Preps to find out if they put their stats, and they don't. <laughs> okay, so I'm looking for. Is your school small enough that it does not have a Wikipedia page? Probably. Because, I, I mean, I, I think the only thing that would have, like, trying to think of, like, what would have earned Stanley Boyd a Wikipedia page, it would be like, like, they've won a couple of football state championships. That's pretty much it. Well, I'd There's like to know, here's of, why I ask. I'd like to know the most famous, like, the notable, okay, here we go, notable people of Stanley, Wisconsin. Who's the most notable person listed from Stanley, Wisconsin, not named Joel A. Erickson? I, I'm going to be honest. I don't know. Okay, here we go. We got uh, Dave Cahill, played for the Eagles, Rams, and Falcons. We got Larry Krause that played for the Packers. Oh, Um, Larry Krause. Yeah, I should have known that one. Okay, and then you said there's a Boyd, Wisconsin also? Yes. Have you had this conversation with James Boyd? I have not. I have not had this conversation with James Boyd. That's a good point, though. I I probably should. Uh, Okay, I'm looking to see who the notable people are from Boyd, Wisconsin. Which is bigger, Stanley or Boyd? Stanley. Okay, well then, then Boyd's got and you. Your mailing address was which one? Stanley. Okay. Stanley. Uh, I'm from a I'm from a farm that's like a a mile outside of the town of Stanley. There's not a single notable person from Boyd, <laughs> and it's only 552 people. What kind yeah, of lame-ass high school includes the name of a town with 552 people? Stanley wasn't strong enough to stand on its own? I, I guess not. I guess not. It's It's been Stanley Boyd, too, like as long as I can remember. I think, I think when my dad played there in the 80s, it was Stanley Boyd. Wow, okay. The Stanley Boyd Area School District. Yeah, that's Stan- the Stan- Stanley School District, and then the bus swings by and picks up three kids from Boyd, and they just merge the whole thing. Good Lord. Uh, that's, that's, not, that's really not far off. How far honest. is that from that's, Plainfield, Wisconsin? Uh, oh, boy. It's, it's a ways. Well, let me tell you something. Plainfield, Wisconsin is the hometown of Ed Gein, who was the uh, influence, essentially, the, the real-life version of Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. And I just decided one time when I was in Wisconsin to drive to Plainfield, Wisconsin, to go see the farm where Ed Gein did his thing. And let's just say the locals aren't exactly welcoming to that. <laughs> yeah, we don't. Well, I mean, it, you'll be shocked to know this, but uh, like we don't love in Wisconsin that we've because of the, the what was the murder thing, the podcast or whatever. That well, you got making Wisconsin. a murder and you got Jeffrey Dahmer. I mean, you guys kind of have the holy trifecta up there, right? Yeah, yeah, we we don't love playing that up. That's not our favorite thing to play up. You know this, by the way, and then I'll leave you with this, Joel. I'm not saying that Wisconsin's... About an hour and 45 minutes. Hour and 45 minutes. Okay. I'm not saying that Wisconsin is demented. This is a true story, and I'm demented for even having looked this up. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Did you watch the the Dahmer documentary on on, uh, Netflix? I did not. Okay. Either you guys watch it? No. You know who Jeffrey Dahmer is, though, right? Yes. Eddie knows who it is. Yeah. So Jeffrey Dahmer worked at a chocolate factory in Milwaukee, right? 
the chocolate factory where Jeffrey Dahmer worked during the time that he became the, the a cannibalistic serial killer. I mean, horrific story. But the site of the chocolate factory, Jeffrey Dahmer eventually left the chocolate factory, and eventually the chocolate factory, not because of Jeffrey Dahmer, but it closed and moved to a suburban Milwaukee location. Must have gotten a better deal somewhere else. So they, they tore down the chocolate factory where Jeffrey Dahmer worked. That site, they rebuilt an arena, which is where the Bucks play today. They had a concert to open that arena when they first opened it on the site where Jeffrey, where the previous tenant was where Jeffrey Dahmer worked. Do you know what the double billing of the concert was? I kid you not. Joel, you want to guess on this? Your people are sick. Let me just tell you that. You want to guess? I, I can't. I can't. I have no idea. The Killers and the Violent Femmes. That is a true story. Look it up. That's a true story. That's a true story. Look that up. You people in Wisconsin are demented. You see? And li listen to that demonic laughter. I'm telling you, it's a true story. Th this dude was going into this dude. Literally, this guy was going to, to drag shows, picking up people and killing them, and then they have a concert of the Killers and the Violent Femmes. Look it up. Now, I'm telling you right now, people are listening to this, and they're like, I thought this was a sports show. What is this guy talking about? 92.8% of the people that are listening to me are going to get on Wikipedia and trace this and go, holy cow, that dude's right. I I'm, I'm telling doing you. it right now. I'm doing it right now. I'm telling you. <laughs> look it up and check back with this, Joel. I expect a tweet in five minutes confirming that I'm correct. You got it? Yep, I got you. Okay, I got you. there you go. We appreciate the time as always. Thanks, Joel. Yep. Yeah, you guys, thanks. You guys didn't know it. Eddie's in to Eddie is in stunned shock over here. I'm in laughter over Joel just almost dying on the phone right there in laughter. With I us. couldn't believe it. I, I, I literally, I listen. I love Milwaukee. I literally love Milwaukee. I think it's a very underrated city. And we go every year at Christmas time. Shannon and I go up for a weekend in Milwaukee, and ha I mean, it is wonderful. I love everything about Milwaukee. Spotted cow, but here's the thing: PBR, spotted cow. I get it, right? But we stay at the best brew pub or the best, excuse me, the best place brew house, which is the hotel on the old PBR grounds. It's great. But I got curious because I look, I'm like, I wonder where the chocolate factory was where Dahmer worked, and I looked it up, and I'm like, wait a minute. That, that area looks familiar. So then I, I researched it further, and I'm like, wait a minute. Like, right there in Juneau, like, that's the site of the Bucks Arena. Then I read about it, and that's, in fact, true. The chocolate factory where he worked after he had left there, probably partially because of, like, the attention to that location, they closed and moved, like, further out in the suburbs of Milwaukee. And then they tore, they raised, they just like his apartment building is gone, they tore down where the factory was and built the arena. Then when they built the arena, they had a grand opening concert. Eddie is nodding his head. Yeah, and yeah, it's all covered in that Netflix doc, pretty much. Not well, the part about the concert. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> the, about the, the killers and the violent and, films yeah, coming out there. Yeah, but it's just amazing how you can navigate from figuring out where Joel lived to somehow segueing that. Do you ever think yourself that you have access to this, to this level of neuroticism? Yes. I thank myself every day. By the yeah. way, uh, Stanley Boyd Oriole looks very zombie-like. Would you it? agree? What is he looks like he's given the bird, literally. A little bit, yes. How fitting. Not a, He is far different. That is the antithesis of the Baltimore Oriole that is simply the cute fella who's just simply saying, hey, root for us. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Do you ever just get down on your knees and thank God that you know me and have access to my dementia? So, Joel A. Erickson has chimed in. Jimmy... You want to read the tweet? Absolutely. At Joel A. Erickson on Twitter. Turns out at Jake Query was right. The grand opening of Pfizer Forum was the killers with the Violet Femmes as an opener. Now, the other half of this, Eddie, is would you like to look up, do a favor for me, Google oh boy. address of Jeffrey Dahmer Chocolate Factory. Because then there's the other half of this equation. We have to prove, in fact, that the... Because, I mean, I could have just completely made up that story about the location, right? I could have just heard that the arena... You realize you the, sound like a magician at the end of the act, right? But we need to show, without a doubt, <laughs> that he was not hiding right. behind the box. I'm just telling you. <laughs> so do you have, Eddie... I will, I'm will. i going to Google the address for First Serve. Is that how... Forum? That's the that's the Bucks Arena. And they're all kind of right there. Um in Milwaukee where like the 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 Mecca and all the different arenas they played in are all the Bradley Center it's basically in the location of the old Bradley Center but um do you have the address by any chance I'm trying to find it okay once you get it you let me know have you been to Milwaukee by the way Jim yes went last year to see the Yankees play the Brewers got some spotted cow Eddie uh, roof was open brought or Eddie closed? back some spotted cow uh it was open we went to two games. First night it was open, but then got to see it close. There was some rain that started to come down, so they closed it, and then it was open all day for the day game. We went in December. We went to, again, the brew house where I stay, and there was a problem at the front desk with the billing on my card, and I was down there, and I was I was getting impatient. And as I'm in the, and I'm like, look, you know what? I'll just go to the computer, and I'll find my email that shows that I prepaid, whatever. And I sit down, and I'm, I'm in their little computers, and I'm – I'm, my blood pressure is increasing and some guy walks up and is like hey are you jake query and i'm like yeah he's like oh, my wife and i are staying here just because we heard you talking about it all the time what a coincidence <laughs> and now i've got to be nice and i'm in, in reality i'm like fuming right um had he said he was part of the company would that have oh, brought the blood pressure down getting pbr's on the house right <laughs> pbr party starts right then now the the other thing uh a tip if you ever go to milwaukee there's the mars cheese castle when you're driving back from Milwaukee, in between Milwaukee and Chicago, just south of Milwaukee, is the Mars the Mars Cheese Castle, which is kind of a gourmet big grocery store, and it's where everybody goes, right? And you know they have Spotted Cow and all the different New Glarus beers and all that. Bypass it. Nothing wrong with it. It's a fabulous place, but bypass it. Bypass the Cheese Castle. Ignore bypass that. Bypass the Cheese Castle. Okay. Don't get tempted. All right. Don't take the bait. Rookie right? mistake. And go past that. Till you get to Kenosha, and then in Kenosha, exit, and there is a grocery store there called Woodman's, which is like the, like Costco on steroids for Wisconsinites only. Um, I think they're only in Wisconsin. I, I kid you not, like the beer section alone is as big as a small grocery store in Indianapolis. It is massive, Man. and it has everything. And the best part about it is we were up there right coming out of covid we went up there and we couldn't get anywhere caffeine free diet coke was like it was hard to find because the, the plastic shortage or whatever 
So we go to Woodman's and Shannon says, oh, we should look and see if they have the caffeine-free Diet Coke. I'll bet they have it here. And I said, you're right. They, they might because this place is massive. And sure enough, they had it. And we bought like, I mean, we loaded up, right? Because you couldn't, you couldn't find it anywhere here. So we get in the car and I said, boy, that was a really good call about the caffeine-free Diet Coke. And she goes, yeah, I figured if anywhere they would have it. And I said, yeah, because the place is massive. And she goes, oh, no, no, no. I just meant because it's Wisconsin and no one's on a diet. <laughs> that's, that's a good point, too, right? Eddie is feverishly looking. Uh, by the way. Where did you say it was? Jake, what's initially, that? Uh, the chocolate factory? It's, it was on the location where the, the Pfizer Forum is now. A, a member of the YouTube chat writes in, how could anyone doubt Jake's serial killer knowledge? Yeah, that's an excellent point. Excellent. So point. the only Shout thing that, Smoke. so basically the only thing I've been able to really find is North Fifth Street, just northwest of the Bradley Center. Yes, that's right next to it. Yes. Yeah, but I can't find like a specific address of what it used to be. Eddie was hoping for a plaque right there on the uh, on the Pfizer yes, forum door. Yes, me too. <laughs> now, okay, do this then, Eddie. Google the Pfizer forum on Google Maps, or you know, like whatever. Not Google Maps, but and and see what street the little red dot is on when you do it. Like if you look right here, you can't see my screen. But if you if you type in Fiserv Forum and the map comes up and you click on that map, it's right there on North Fifth Street, right next to the Bradley Center. It's the exact location. I'm seeing North Sixth Street. The uh, there's a this is taken from a piece from well, the Milwaukee it's like a ten block square area, but yes, this is from a piece from the Milwaukee Journal. Uh, sentinel but it's referencing that the old factory occupied space now belongs to pfizer forum from a story in september 23rd of 2022 because it's unbelievable right? the oxford apartments which are nearby are the site of the Dahmer murders but well, they that, also reference the factory as being the, now part of so pfizer do you forum. know when you drive on meridian street if you drive on meridian street at about i'm trying to think probably like 30th and meridian there's that one little strip of and they're nice apartments on the left hand side and they're three like yeah. matching buildings yep that's what Dahmer's apartment looked very similar to that, and he was the third of the three buildings. And if you go to it now, there are two buildings and then a huge grass lot because they tore it out, understandably so. I mean, horrific, right, what what took place there. Right. Just awful. And he lived right outside of downtown Milwaukee, and his grandmother's house, which is still there and is like somebody bought it, is a like a cute, charming little house in West Allis, which is like Broderpool. I mean, it's like a nice <laughs> bungalow house that would – I mean – I, can you imagine somebody like would you buy that it's got to be like pennies on the dollar i would assume but still um i thought joel a erickson it was interesting about juju brent's that conversation because he's one guy quite frankly jimmy that we kind of i'm not going to say he's been like lost in the shuffle of it all but i think there was a lot of excitement about his size and his athleticism and we just haven't gotten a chance to see it yet i thought and i just probably misread the situation i had thought with how dire the colts cornerback room was at times this offseason and I know Juju Brents dealt with injury a little bit during the offseason but I had thought that he was going to be a definitive starting corner on this team right away and then you've had pieces like Daryl Baker Jr. that have stepped up and it's like okay we can start to ease the rookie along a little bit more but to a point that yeah there is part of me that, that wants to see more Juju Brents but it's hard to fully clamor for that when yeah through two games the defense looks solid that conversation might change a little bit against a maybe not more potent than Jacksonville, but more potent than Houston offensive attack and in it, the Ravens. It's so interesting because you say to yourself or you think to yourself, man, like they got to get him out there. It's like it's it's two games. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, in the totality of, I mean, there have been guys that have missed an entire rookie year and still gone on to be nice players. Right. But 
you know, the, the the intrigue is certainly there just because of everything and the fact that he's from here. And I, I think there were some that thought that Juju Brents might have been a bit of a stretch in terms of where they drafted him, but his athleticism is is and his size both are very intriguing. And no and, and throw the throw the side or not the size, throw the local tie tie in out because we talked with Jim Nagy at the Senior Bowl and he talked about how he was very high on his charts for for the type of performance that he had at the Senior Bowl. So yeah, I mean, he, he's a very hyped corner coming out of college and I think there's thoughts that he could be a, a cornerstone piece to this Colts defense for the next three, four, five years, but it's not time to necessarily hit the panic button on that just because two games in, he hasn't been the starting corner and he's not been the driver or the recipient of high-level snaps. We'll come back, put a bow tie on it, and get you, uh, again, one last time, get you up to date on what the big story at the Colts Complex was earlier today. We'll hand it off to John. We'll do it all next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, off the bat, no action on the Reds. Bottom of the eighth, they have a runner on second. They lead 3-2, minus 1,900. They're currently favorites in that Why would you do this to me again? I'm merely just bringing it up for you. That's the only purpose there. We'll give the Mariners minus one and a half. That's two days in a row they've rolled against the Athletics. We will do that once more. Also going to take the Toronto Blue Jays. Twin on the money line over the New York Yankees this evening. And Jake... The Pirates got absolutely schlacked yesterday, I th- fourteen I saw to that. one. No on respect on International Pirate like Day. day. Uh, we're going with the Cubs today on the money line against. You know the how Pirates. the Pirates sounded yesterday on International how Pirates sound, Day? Because what was the final? Fourteen to one. What the hell happened? That's what they sounded like. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I was like, how do you not give them some love there? No respect. Uh, news of the day from the Colts, by the way. If you're just joining us or you're tuning in to hear John, not to steal his thunder, but uh, Anthony Richardson, Ryan Kelly, still in concussion protocol that is the big news of the day that is not to say that they can't still return but they will be on the sidelines for practice today along with jimmy quinton nelson right who also is still not back on to the practice field so something to keep an eye on um in terms of the matchup getting set for this weekend against baltimore tomorrow my buddy nestor is going to join us from baltimore who is a long time Baltimore uh, broadcast member, media member. He's the one that brought his uh, little doll of Bob Ursay to the Super Bowl back in 2012 <laughs> and was parading it around. And like Nestor is like a, a like he is the me of Baltimore because he's born raised there. He loves everything about the city of Baltimore. He's a wildly entertaining dude, and he he finally buried the hatchet for Indianapolis. He he finally was able to 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 let it go. But it took a long time. It took a long time because he was bitter about the Colts' move from Baltimore. But he's going to join us tomorrow. It's our Thursday road trip. Does that mean we're driving around a hearse for the Bob Ursay coffin? Or That's no? right. I just uh, in sure. a Mayflower truck. Okay. We're right. driving right. a Mayflower right. truck. Tomorrow for our road trip, we will go to Baltimore, part of that Thursday road trip. It will be Baltimore, Maryland, which I think I'm going to road trip from with Byron as part of our road trip coming up. Uh, John's up next. Thanks so much for listening to us. We'll be back with you tomorrow from noon until 3. This has been Quarry & Company.